Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Thursday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of this fine program. Today I've got Brooks Childress, and in a little bit we'll have T.P. Hammock with us as we talk all things football on this Thursday. We will continue to look ahead to Auburn and Georgia, the Deep South's oldest rivalry inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium Saturday at 2.30. We'll continue to preview that game. We'll also look at a lot of NFL today as Thursdays we typically preview the week ahead in the National Football League, and so we'll have plenty of preview of that, including revealing our Sports Call Player of the Week in the 4 o'clock hour. And at 5 o'clock today, we'll have Zach Blackerby, the host of the Locked on Auburn podcast and Village Vice with Brad Law as uh, he will talk all things Auburn and Georgia and uh, continue to preview that game in the weeks ahead for Auburn football, this quarterback controversy, and all of that good stuff. So a lot of Auburn for you today, a lot of NFL for you today, and a little bit of Atlanta Braves as history was made last night. Last night was a very triumphant night for the Braves. We've not talked as much about them, obviously, since football season. I know the guys did a little bit earlier this week, but we'll probably start off the show here in just a little bit talking about what the Braves have accomplished getting you set for the postseason, uh, which starts next week for the Braves. It probably will not start till the end of next week, first of the next week, but uh, that's the nature of some time off. And again, they had a big night last night. So a little Braves, a little Auburn, a little college football, and a little NFL today for you on this Thursday edition of the program. Again, all your phone calls also welcome on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free. One triple eight nine Tiger Nine. Ryan Lavoy and Brooks Childress with you right here. TP Hammock coming up in a little bit. Brooks, you were at the high school coaches show with TP last night. Uh, good stuff from you guys. Certainly appreciate you. Again, I said this on the show yesterday, but you were not on the show. I appreciate you for hosting the show on Monday and Tuesday in my absence. That will have to happen again this next Monday, and I'm already appreciative of that. Appreciative of all the things that you do, and including the high school coaches show last night. Uh, sound like a good time out there at the End Zone Bar and Grill. Yeah, it's always a great time out there. We are appreciate them for hosting us this year we appreciate all of our sponsors for high school sports uh the, this year to, for helping make that show possible and yeah we had a great time out there talked to some coaches got some in-depth look at a couple of the regions around here and in one specifically 1a and 7a and so yeah you know you're looking for the latest high school news every single week heading into the week's big games make sure you uh you listen to the high school coach show every wednesday night six o'clock right here following sports call uh 
other than that, uh, was not able to see the 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 historic stolen base live because I was doing that. But uh, make you be sure I went back and through Twitter and all social media and made made sure I saw you know watched the clips and uh, saw Ronald Cunha pick up the base and uh, I'm sure that base is on its way to New York, the state of New York right now. If it's not already on display up there in in, in Cooperstown, uh, and so it is. It, it's uh, it's a historic day for the Braves. Also last night, don't not to be overlooked by what Ronald Cunha did, locked up the one seed in the National League. So the the road to the World Series on the National League side will run through Atlanta. Uh, so you, you've got to, uh, the Braves have home field advantage throughout the the uh, the NL side of things. Now you got to lock up that one seed for the playoffs. They're still battling the uh, the the Baltimore Orioles for that best record in baseball. I, I don't know how many how close it is. Uh, I believe the magic numbers one. So win. Winning, you're in, uh, basically, or, or I guess lose uh, if you're the Orioles. But it's um, it, it's so close there. The Braves are, are, you know, historic season coming to an end. You got one more game with the Cubs tonight. Then you host division rivals, the Nationals, this weekend, and then get some time off to settle down. I know, you know, th- there's different opinions on if you want that time off or not. I think with the Braves, how you've, you know, you, you've come down the stretch, you may want a little bit of time off just to reset things and, and regroup and and get you know get get back into you know feeling like it's a new season uh, and a new team and so you 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 go into it and it's just great but other than that great uh, great afternoon the weather's great here in uh, in Auburn and can't wait to talk to all of our callers can't wait to get to Zach Blackerby here in a little bit uh, talk to him later this afternoon and it's a, it's a great day to be on sports call absolutely again Zach will be coming up to start the five o'clock hour does a great job with Locked On Auburn podcast has a ton of followers there excited to have Zach on to get get his thoughts we did talk to him right before uh, the season started so we'll get his thoughts on the first third of the season and yes four out of 12 completed hopefully you end up with 13 games this year but uh, again for the regular year a third of the way completed one more week until the bye week for Auburn again big test against number one Georgia we're going to get into that in a little bit do want to start with those Atlanta Braves though Uh, we of course, continue to be proud partners with the Braves Radio Network, and you can listen to all the Braves games here in East Central Alabama on 1230 WAUDAM. Great stuff, the Braves all year long, getting win 102 last night. It did clinch the National League one seed, uh, beating the Los Angeles Dodgers out for that. Again, Dodgers have played really good baseball the last month or two, but the Braves have equaled that, and they won that series against the Dodgers uh, about a month or so ago. That was a big moment in the MVP race. Acuna hit three home runs in that series, including a grand slam. He looked awesome. Betts did some really good things, too. The The narrative here is this. We don't have to be so uh, you know, dismissive of the other greatness that have occurred, uh, both with Matt Olson in Atlanta, but also with the two in L.A., Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts, all these guys have had truly great MVP uh, caliber seasons. It would not be a weak MVP award for any of these guys to win it. A guy hitting 50-plus homers, 130 RBIs like Matt Olson, absolutely. A guy in Freddie Freeman that's hitting 335 with nearly 30 homers, already 100 RBIs, leads the league in doubles, absolutely. Mookie Betts, who uh, does play two positions and hit 40 homers and, and, and been great for the Dodgers, absolutely. These are strong MVP candidates, but Last night, there should now not be a doubt that Ronald Acuna Jr. should be the MVP, getting his 70th stolen base, his 69th and then 70th stolen base of the year to go along with 41 homers, hitting 330, 
Uh, hit about 335 to be exact. Over 100 RBIs in the lead spot. Uh, 120 or so runs scored. All of these incredible things in every which way. They were showing a stat on MLB Network earlier today. His worst month from a batting average standpoint this year was 298. Uh, which was essentially 300. Every other month he hit well over 300, as a matter of fact. One month he even hit 350. And so he's been good from start to finish. There's not been any weakness in his season. Someone like Betts was a little weaker out of the gates, had a big month of August. Uh, But again, Brooks, Ronald Acuna has been good from the very beginning of the year, and now it culminates in something historical with the 4070. Yeah, I mean it, it's something that nobody's ever done before, and it, it's a it's a phenomenal stat. And, you know, you you looked at, and you know, you you said it, you, you hit the nail on the head. It is it it's it you can't you know you you look around the rest of the league, uh, and you look on this the Braves team. It, there's there's MVP caliber stuff going on all over Major League Baseball this year. It, it's it's a great year for baseball uh, stats wise. It's a great year for a lot of players around the league, uh, but. To, to do something like that, what, what Ronald Cunha has done this year, um, it's it's unprecedented. It's if he's he's not given the the MVP, you, you got to have a really really good argument to not to give it to him. And I don't think there one exists right now to to not have him as the the uh, most valuable player. Uh, and so it's. He, he's he's a transformational player. We were talking about it earlier. He's only what twenty five, yep. and he's still got so many years left of of prime uh, of prime baseball. Granted, if he doesn't get hurt, uh, and then he's you know with that new contract he signed a couple years back with the Braves, still locked up with the Braves for a while. And so it's uh, it you know if you're a Braves fan. Uh, it you sit back and you you know you watch and you're excited about what he's doing. If you're a baseball fan in general, you just you have to admire what has happened in Atlanta this year. Uh, and he's been so dominant and you know we, we like you said we were watching uh, uh, MLB Network this morning and they had this whole segment devoted to him. You know running through all these stats and everything. And uh, the the analyst uh, I forget who it was but was talking about just his swing. How it's Mark Derosa. Yeah, Martin uh, Mark Derosa was talking about his swing and it's just so. Uh, it, it's, it looks so free, and it, it's it's a natural swing. It's not, you know, he, he compared it to some of the other stars of the game that you can tell it's, you know, it's they've worked on it. They've been in the, the hitting labs. They've worked on it. Nobody it, it nobody has taught Ronda Cunha how to swing, and he's just, you know, it, it's so beautiful. It, it's it's a it's a it's he's a beautiful player to watch play baseball. And and I, as Braves fans, uh, I think we, you know, we. Don't take it for granted, but it's it's a it's a privilege to have him uh, on your team. Yeah, no, it's it's certainly special indeed. And and look, I just want to get the receipts out on myself for a moment because uh, again, I'll always be honest with what ends up happening versus what I expected to have happen. I was genuinely worried about Ronald last year. He did not have the power. You could tell that he had not come off of that knee injury 100%. He recovered a little bit ahead of schedule uh, after that brutal 2021 torn ACL. And he was not the same player last year. And I was a little worried, not from the perspective that he not end up being some, you know, returned to an all-star form and that sort of thing. But I just wonder if it had robbed him of like the very top of his ceiling because to get injured so young at age 23, like there was no limit to what the guy could accomplish. And you see him hit all these home runs as a rookie and, and just 
take the league by storm a little bit and already getting this Acuna versus Juan Soto debate from from the very beginning. These guys getting called up. And I just felt like maybe the very top of what he was capable of could have been jeopardized because of that injury, just the way he played last year. And here he is, and it's history. It's the second straight year in Major League Baseball we've had history. We had the judge record for home runs in the American League last year. Of course, kind of infamous around these parts who appreciate college football. Certainly did not go over well, but was truly history in Major League Baseball and in the American League. And now this year, history in the entirety of Major League Baseball. And look, I've seen some very silly stuff out there in terms of, oh, the bases are bigger. Yeah, they're bigger by an inch or two. It's not like it's two feet yeah. bases bigger. It's not like you have to run 88 feet instead of 90 between these bases. And if it was so easy, then other guys would be at 60, 70 steals. There's only one other guy, and that's Ruiz of the the A's, and he hits for zero power at all. I think he's got single-digit homers. Like This is not a normal thing, period. does not matter that the bases are a couple inches bigger. So that argument is completely dumb because it's still relative to what everyone else is accomplishing, and no one is close to accomplishing what Acuna is this year. Uh, is it possible it happens 40-40 again? Sure, because 40-40 did happen a few times, and a lot of them are fairly recently. They're not like 19-20 type of guys. We're talking about A-Rod, talking about Bonds, talking about Alfonso Soriano and the like. And so those guys were all last 20 years, 25 years. So, yeah, it's possible that this will not be the last 40-40, sure. But 40-70, when the closest guy to 70 stolen bases to 40 home runs was Ricky Henderson at 28 homers, that's going to be tough. That I, I would say that in general, a lot of these records do will, will end up getting broken, at least single season-wise or at least some of them. So I'm not going to say that's an unbreakable record. I don't think it fits that category the way, you know, 5,000 strikeouts would for a strike uh, for a starting pitcher because of the innings they pitch or or 500 wins, whatever that total is from Cy Young. Like some of that stuff, yeah, that's never being broken. That's not the way the game's going to be played anymore. So this could be, but it's going to take a while and it's an impressive feat to where it's going to take someone incredibly special, and Ronald is. And even I remember as early as a few months ago, we were asking, can he get to the 40 homers? Because he was kind of on pace for 37, 38, and like, can you have the second half to, to do it? And he's been awesome. I think I saw he's hit, I want to say 13 homers in the month of September, something like that. Like He was not quite on pace to hit 40, and now he has hit 41 and has a few more games to add another one or two. I hope he does, by the way. I hope it's I hope he ends up 42, 43 homers and 72, 73 steals, so it's not like, oh, he just got to the, the benchmarks and, and stopped. I, I hope he even puts a little more of an exclamation point on it. Uh, but he should already have the MVP now uh, that he's done something historical. Again, does not take away. does not mean Betts was not incredible. does not mean that Freeman and Olsen were not incredible. But Acuna was – not just great or incredible, he was historical this year. And, and that should be the most valuable player. I don't even think you have to go, well, he's the best player on the best team. I mean, that that's sometimes a flawed argument. That's, that's not always – that that can be case by case. When your second best player is Matt Olsen, he hits 52, 53 home runs. <laughs> well, then if you're better than that, that then that becomes an inherently pretty good case. But uh, you don't even need to make that case for Acuna. He's already got this based off the history that he's made. And for this Braves team, uh, Brooks, before we go to break – yeah. 
They get to 102 wins. Second straight year, they're over 100 wins. Last year did not go well in the postseason. It was a uh, three to one victory, I believe, three games to one for the Phillies, who end up going the World Series, losing to the Astros. Um, but but I, let's not even worry about the postseason part of this. That's for next week. This team following up that, following up a World Series, last two years have been the kind of the prime of this because you won the World Series in twenty one, and then last year you you have over hundred wins. You chase down the Mets. It's a a summer-long chase down, basically, to, yeah. to, to pass the mats. And then you follow that up, and you're the best team from start to finish, not only in the NL East, not only in the National League, but the best team start to finish in Major League Baseball. And regardless of what happens in the postseason, it's impressive that this team, no downfalls. Three straight years. I, I know the regular season wasn't great in 21. But three straight years of dominance in their own way, 21 winning the title, last year being 100-plus wins, this year being just the best team, period. This team still is finding ways to accelerate itself and improve itself. And at some point, that's not going to happen, but I'm very appreciative of a team that has won six straight division titles now that is still finding ways to be better relative to its competition. Yeah, and I, I think that speaks to, one, the the Brian Snicker as a manager, keeping the team motivated and keeping, you know, uh, when you get to different situations, being able to adjust things. But I also think it, it speaks a lot to uh, the, the team that Alex Anthopoulos is the, has constructed here. Because, you know, it, the past few years, you know, there's been some big names that have left the, the, the team. You had Freddie Freeman depart. You had Dansby Swanson leave. Uh, you, you've had big names that have left uh, left the team. And at that moment, you know, a lot of Braves fans have been like, well, what are we going to do? What's going to happen here? What, you know, this is, you know, like in the case of Freddie, this is our franchise where he's he's been with us forever. Where What's going to happen? They brought in Matt Olson, and he's done, like we were talking about earlier, MVP-level numbers. Um, and then you, you know, you at you brought in Sean Murphy at the catcher position. You, uh, you, you found uh, a, a shortstop in Orlando Arcio who was within the Brewers organization for a few years, and everybody was kind of like, oh, okay, he's fine, but you know, what, you know, what are we, you know, is he really going to replace Dansby? Well, first year with the Braves, first full year with the Braves, uh, he's in the All Star game. And I know that's you know partially you get voted into that, but still, uh, you. You you were in you know you all star game caliber t- uh, type of player there for for Orlando Arcia. It's 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 a brilliant team that that uh, Anthopolis continues to create every single year. Every time you think there's going to be a hole in the team that year, it, it's uh, something in the off season they move around. And it's like here, guess what? We got the we got our guys. Uh, you know one one thing you were looking at this year is uh, you, you know what's the pitching staff going to do? And I know there's been some injuries as of late, and you've you know you battled a couple injuries, but overall the the starting pitching rotation has been great. You've had Max Freed, Kyle Wright was really good for uh, for a stretch there. Charlie Morton uh, are still in discussions on if they're going to uh, exercise his option for next year, so it gives you a, a looking at um, that he don't, did well enough. Uh, Bryce Elder has had some real, uh, good numbers this year. Spencer Strider's been in the in the uh, Cy Young conversation this year it's it there's every like i said every time you think there's going to be a hole in the team the 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 front office makes a move or or does something that fills that hole and uh it it's it doesn't look like it's going away anytime soon especially with some of these contracts the braves are on right now last night lano braves history from ronald acuna with the 40 homers 70 stolen bases 
And the Braves locking up the one seed in the National League. The Magic number one for the Braves to clinch the best record in baseball and the number one seed throughout the playoffs if they were to advance. Good stuff from the Braves last night. We're going to head to our first timeout of the show. When we come back, T.P. Hammock will join us. We'll also talk some football and take some phone calls. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. you want to join our conversation tweet us your thoughts on twitter at sports call au we're done paying the bills now back to sports call on tiger Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and now T.P. Hammock with us here on this Thursday edition of the program. T.P., good to see you. I enjoyed hearing you guys out at the High School Coaches Show last night, and uh, hope you're doing well today. I'm doing very well. It was a good day of class, and uh, yeah, me and Brooks had a great time at the End Zone Bar and Grill. Got to talk to some good high school coaches, got to talk some good high school football as always, and uh, yeah, I'm excited for this weekend of uh, college football games. There's some, uh, it's, it's a mixed bag, that's a good way of putting it, but more importantly, I'm more excited to talk to our callers today. Absolutely, we're about to get to our orthopedic clinic phone line, and again, I know that uh, you had a big one last weekend there with Ohio State Notre Dame, proved to be as good as any game of the day, came down the last play of the game and i'm sure you're glad notre dame only knows how to count to 10 and uh that was a that was pretty epic ending to that one yeah absolutely and i remember uh marcus freeman said after the press conference he's like oh we didn't want to get a substitution infraction but i saw this today on uh twitter it said uh, ohio state subbed in that running back who scored the wayne touchdown so the referee gave them time to have the substitution because you know they stand over the ball right. so they just literally forgot how to yeah. put in an extra but yeah that was a really good game they're a lot better than uh they're a really good team there i agree with you they're definitely going to beat either usc or um clemson, clemson. Yeah. it's gonna be tough for clemson you know that you're at clemson that's a hard place to play at but they got their hands full this week they got to go to duke after yeah. that after that game i it wouldn't surprise me if they dropped that one because of the emotional situation and all that but i'm happy college game days there for that one because that's gonna be a really fun football game on uh saturday night yeah that's the first time college game day is ever going to durham and uh, if I had told you that they <laughs> they were going to Durham, I, uh, you would have said, so yeah, the, the basketball game in January? <laughs> no. Oh, the, the one in February. They're going to play Carolina in February? No. Football? Yes. As a matter of fact, <laughs> yes. Uh, so we'll get into some of those uh, college football games a little bit later today. And again, a lot of NFL today on this Thursday. But let's go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line for the first time this afternoon. 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free one triple eight nine tiger nine first up today james from montgomery james is with us james how are you this afternoon i'm good at war eagle war eagle yeah i know that i'm actually covering a lot of sports for y'all guys um i got my whole schedule is uh you know 
I got so much on the schedule that I have to cover. I'm covering um, the Thursday night football game between uh, the Green Bay Packers and uh, I think it's the Detroit Lions, if I'm correct. Yes, that is correct. Yeah, so I got that game going. Then I got uh, the Atlanta Braves. I'm going to be I'm going to be watching the score, the box scores for that game, and seeing if they're going to make it back to the uh, World Series. I'm hoping that they will make it back to the World Series. So that's going to be a good thing. And I got uh, two college football games I'm going to be watching on Thursday night as well. So I got all sports all day long. Uh, it, it's going to be something for me that I'm going to be actually. Uh, covering for Thursday and uh, Saturday as well, so I got sports, uh, you know, going on all day. Yeah, we uh, we love to hear it. We certainly are excited about this time of year. Excited that postseason baseball is around the corner. Excited that we're in the middle of college football and pro football, and uh, very busy and fun time of year. Yes, as well. And then I was um, looking at some uh, ESPN news, and um, they just said that uh, there's going to be a different change that's going to be coming to the XFL and the USFL, they're actually going to be uh, combining the two sports together. So they're going to be merging together as one sport as well. So it will be uh, the XFL and the USFL combining those two sports together as well. Yeah, it's uh, not too shocking when you consider that it's just very been very hard for other leagues that are professional in America beside the NFL to survive for very long. Uh, you know, the XFL and USFL have had other renditions of itself uh, dating back 20, 30 years. And, uh, you know, they're, they're now going to merge. I'm, I'm, I'm not very optimistic it, they will last for a very long time, but obviously they're trying to combine resources and, and, and see how long they can last there. Yes, that's well, because um, with the USFL and the XFL, they've been, uh, the XFL has been around for a long time. I remember at one point in time that uh, the general manager over for uh, WWE, uh, you know, he that was like their own, like their own way of doing it when they used to do the XFL back in, you know, when the XFL used to be, uh, you know, high powered, you know, X, uh, WWE uh, retired uh, superstars that used to play in the XFL, but this is something that. That that sport will be around forever, and the USFL has been around for a long time. So I, I don't see the USFL going anywhere. So they will be around for forever. So you know, Birmingham has um, ties to the USFL. Uh, they have a headquarters out there in Birmingham, so they're staying. They're they're actually staying out there in uh, in their headquarters in Birmingham. And I think that a lot of other teams that um, thinking about uh, making it uh, a home like when the season starts they're going to be doing a lot of home at home games for the USFL teams as well yeah we'll just have to see what uh, what all the details of the merger have and name changes and and who will be all the teams how many teams there'll be a lot to work through uh, when we get to that point in the spring but uh, we'll just have to wait for more details there what else is on your mind today well I know we are so far out from uh, the the first week of uh, NBA play, and I'm looking at to see um, how the NBA is actually going to uh, look this year. So I'm going to be looking at the postseason, and I'm actually counting down uh, to uh, the NBA uh, play-in tournament. So I'm going to be watching that one in November and uh, seeing if some great teams are going to 
uh, be winning in the playoff in the playing tournament as well, and uh, getting to see some of the new changes that these teams are actually uh, looking into as well. Yeah, it'll be the in-season tournament uh, in November. They they still and a little bit in December. They've still got the play-in tournament, which is in April, right before uh, the 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 obviously the, the the big playoffs. So that's uh, playing your way into the playoffs. But yeah, the in-season tournament, which is new this year in the month of November and December, and they're kind of they've baked that into the regular schedule, so it, it'll not stand out too much from the regular slate of games, but is a obviously an addition to the season. Yes, as well, because I did, uh, when they did the playing tournament last April, um, I actually did my own playing tournament because I did play, uh, NBA 2K, uh, 23, and I did my own playing tournament, and I, I, and I kept playing for a couple of weeks, and I, and I kept on winning a lot of games and, uh, taking some players out and putting some new players in, and I kept, I kept winning as well, and I made some I made some changes as well. All right, yeah, love a little uh, love a little two K tournament. Yes, as well, and I'm thinking about doing one uh, sometime real soon in the near future. And if you all guys want to, um, you know, join me in the NBA two K twenty four tournament, I'm more than welcome to. I'll have a a lobby open uh, ready for y'all to hop on and play against me. Yeah, uh, TP might be down for that one, but uh, I don't have 2K24 yet, so that's going to be kind of a kind of a problem. But uh, we'll see. And uh, if you do do that tournament, hope you uh, have a good time at that. Yes, I sure would, indeed. And then I'm actually covering the WNBA because I know my Dallas Wings. I'm not um, I'm not very happy from last week, so I'm going to see how they're going to bounce back uh, this coming up week and. I know we're playing at home against the uh, WNBA uh, champion Las Vegas Aces, so I'm just going to see how things uh, look a little bit different and uh, seeing if we're going to make a, a huge uh, bounce back on this one as well and uh, getting to see um, how the Connecticut Suns are going to hold out with uh, the New York Liberty as well. Yeah, I think that Liberty series is tied at one, but I know you're – uh, your wings are down 2-0, and again, Las Vegas is just a juggernaut, so uh, Las Vegas very tough to beat. Yes, as well, so I would uh, send them the message uh, later on, and I'll tell them they've got to work hard and, you know, give everything that they got, you know, just put in 110%, well, 100% into this game this week, and I'm hoping that they'll get that and, uh, you know, work hard and, and just work as a team as well. Yeah, uh, that would be uh, that would be some good encouragement. Yes, as well because I've been with the Dallas Wings. I've been a fan for them uh, for a long time, and uh, getting to see some of these uh, beautiful ladies uh, doing what they do on and off the court, and um, I'm hoping that they'll do an amazing job for me this coming up weekend as well. We will see. What else is on your mind today? Well, I know I actually wanted some Auburn and Georgia trivia because I know we're playing them this weekend. And uh, this coming up Friday, I will be watching a lot of um, highlights from uh, years past. So I'll be uh, watching a lot of different uh, old school games uh, from Auburn and Georgia. So I'll be doing my own Auburn uh, University uh, vault for myself and um, opening up the the uh, treasure chest of Auburn University's football and uh, getting to see some classic games over the years as well. And to start off, 
uh, this big weekend. I'm actually starting off with the 1957 Auburn Tigers, meeting up with the 1957 Georgia Bulldogs as well, playing in Auburn, Alabama. Yeah, uh, 1957, a great year, obviously, for Auburn. And, uh, yeah, no, I think that that would be a good idea. We've got uh, one or two quick questions for you then, trivia-wise. All right, sounds good. All right, uh, James, you ready for this Auburn versus Georgia trivia? Yes, I am. All right, start you off with, what year did Auburn and Georgia force the first ever overtime game in SEC history? What year was it? Um, The first? Years that this uh, Auburn Georgia overtime uh, game history was, I'll have to say, I will have to say, nineteen ninety three. Very close. You got to go a few more years up, though. Um, I know it's not ninety four. You're right. I know it's not ninety five. That's right. I know it's not ninety six. No, it is nineteen ninety six. Good job. Uh, Yes, it is 1996 because I did. Um, I think I did see that in the Auburn uh, vault, and I think that game was. I think it was like a two-time. It was like a two-score difference as well. That that's right. It was uh, 1996. Auburn, Georgia. Uh, was partook in the first SEC overtime game and went three overtime periods before the game ended. So good job, 1996. Okay. So, James, I got the second question for you. What was the name of the wide receiver who caught the miracle in Jordan-Hare in the 2013 game? Oh, I know this one because I have the ticket with me. I was there in 2013. Um, let me see. Let me go back in my memory. Okay, I was there. I think it was um, Chris Davis. No, sorry. Uh, Chris Davis was a defensive back, but he was a wide receiver. Uh, I'll give you one more guess. Uh, Okay. War number five. Okay, um, I know this one because it was – I know the the announcer for Auburn – um. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it was Rob Grambling, and I know he was there. I know he's. I know he's he's with me in spirit. I'm hoping I, I hear, I hear him in my head. Um. I know he he wore number five. Um. Yeah, Blank caught it on the deflection. Blank is going to score. Okay. I know this one because I was at the uh, College Football uh, Hall of Fame and I saw this and I had tears in my eyes. Um, he caught the he caught the uh, pass and um, darn it! I, I I know I know this one. Um, Ricardo. Uh, Ricardo Davis. Not quite. Ricardo Lewis. Ricardo Lewis. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I, I almost had it because um, I was actually at that game. And when Auburn won, I was trying uh, – I was actually on the field and I was trying to find uh, Ricardo Lewis to actually give him a, a huge handshake and actually get something from him as well, like maybe 
uh, his mouthpiece or a uh, arm band or something of that of that sort as well. Yeah, Ricardo Lewis. You know, he played a couple years with the Cleveland Browns. Um, he was he'll always be an Auburn legend though for that uh, that miraculous catch that really did save that 2013 season because, you know, without that, you know, Auburn loses to Georgia, and who knows, we may never get the kick six from that. So he'll always be an Auburn legend to all of us. Well, yeah. Yes, yes, as well, because I, um, I would love to meet uh, Ricardo Lewis and actually getting a chance to talk to him as well and uh, maybe getting something from him as well. Maybe so. Well, good job on trivia today, James, and uh, we're about out of time, so we'll have to let you go, but we look forward to talking to you again tomorrow. All right, sounds good, and War Eagle. War Eagle. That is James from Montgomery joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We need to take another timeout. We'll be back right after this. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. I'm Jeff Whitaker Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday edition of the program. And coming up at 5 o'clock today, Zach Blackerby, Locked on Auburn, will join us to talk all things Auburn and Georgia. 4 o'clock hour, we will reveal this week's Sports Call Player of the Week and talk a lot of NFL. Uh, and we'll get to more of your phone calls, too. With the seven or eight minutes we have left in this hour, Let's talk a little bit about that Auburn-Georgia game coming up on Saturday and just the difficult path to offensive success for Auburn. Uh, It is just – it's been obviously terrible offensively in the Power 5 competition. I'm not even sure that referencing the UMass and Sanford game achieves much of a purpose at this point um, just due to the fact that – we know the level of competition is just not comparable. And it has not played out anywhere near how it played out against Sanford, against UMass. Cal, 14 offensive points. And A&M, essentially, three offensive points. So you're you're batting at eight and a half, nine points a game for these two Power 5 games. And then you play Georgia. And look, I know that Georgia has... Uh, been playing with their food a little bit. I know UAB scored 21, scored 14 in the first half, and, and took advantage of some things through, you know, had about 300 yards of offense. I know all those things. Uh, but there's part of it is, hey, yes, Georgia may not be the A++ they were last year, right? 
But the other part of it is Auburn is actively beating themselves too. And if you have a good, even a good defense, look, Georgia's defense is, I think everyone would understand Georgia's defense is way better than Cal's. Okay. And then Auburn scored 14 in that game. And I think everyone would understand that Georgia's defense is still very likely to end up better than A&M's. And Auburn scored three offensively. So you might be of the opinion Georgia is not what they were last year. It's not, if Auburn plays the same type of football it has the last two Power Five games, it's not going to matter what Georgia is. Now, the good news is this is a home game. And with it being a home game, you hope you can ride momentum more. But TP, when we look at the quarterback situation, we look at Peyton Thorne, how he's played. We've looked at what we've known about Ashford for now 16 games. And what we do or don't know about Holden Gurner so far, we do know that Peyton Thorne's going to get this start. How do you project that to go in terms of if this is not going to go well, should who should be next up? Should I guess you could start with, in your opinion, is Thorne the right move for Saturday? So it's a really tough position because it's just, you know, it's a really, really good opponent. You know, that's Georgia, and the offense has just struggled so bad. I just haven't seen much from Thorne to really believe in him. You know, it's just like I, I know he did well with Kenneth Walker, but, you know, Kenneth Walker ain't coming out there to play for Auburn anymore. You know, he didn't do that well last year. Some people said he was banged up. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but so far this season it's been extremely disappointing from what I expected to see. Maybe it's because he got into camp later than everyone else. It's just a really tough position to be put in because I'm not sure how much better Robbie is. You know, Robbie can move with his legs, and that's great, but is he a better thrower than Peyton Thorne? I'd say they're pretty similar. I, I would give the slight nod to Peyton Thorne, but it's not a great – it's not in a great situation. And if you put Holden out there, you know, that's – you know, oh, congratulations. Your first start is against the two-time defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, that's just not going to go well for, you know, almost any other quarterback. So – to beat Georgia, we've seen over the past couple of years, you have to score a lot of points. You have to really have a high-powered offense because that has always been the little knock with Kirby Smart is they've never had this high-octane offense, especially now with Mike Bobo, who I, I, I don't think is the greatest offensive coordinator. So you have to really put up the points, and I just don't know where that's going to come from from Auburn because, you know, we saw it last week. You know, they, they should have scored off of that, uh, I believe it was a wheel route with Jay Fair where yes. he completely overthrew it. So that, that should have been a touchdown, but shoulda, coulda, woulda. But um, yeah, I just don't see – where the avenue of points really come from because Georgia's got a really good run game and they got a really good pass game. So I think it's just – it's a really hard matchup for Auburn this week. And I, when I look at it in terms of quarterback play, we deep dove on it yesterday. It's been obviously re rehashed a couple times this week. It's just – it is a string of things that have to happen a little bit, right? Because – a lot of it starts with just the, the head of Peyton Thorne and just saying, you know what, I don't care if the rush is in my face, I'm hanging in there, I'm going to make a throw. Or I'm going to make sure that if I do escape the pocket, I keep my eyes down the field. Because those are some things that he absolutely has got to, to look at. But obviously, if the offensive line, the first two dropbacks of the game, gives up pressures, gives up or, or, or does poorly in pass pro, that's going not to help the confidence, right? So that's part of it because the line is not blameless in what happened in AM. I think they did a good job run blocking for the most part, but I don't think they were blameless in, uh, blameless in the pass protection. And then I think that 
once you fix that, then you start to figure out, okay, well, is this kind of stuff something that can work against the Georgia defense? Do you need to be going to more RPOs? Do you need to be more vertical? Can you run consistently? And that sort of thing. Like there's some there's just some intangible things that have to be worked out first because is we talked a little bit about the game plan yesterday. I didn't think the game plan was that poor against AM. I thought the time that they put Robbie Asher in the game was was pretty reasonable considering that you had gone a full half plus possession with three points. I thought that how they came out of the gate with running the ball primarily a lot early made sense. Uh, and a couple of their pass attempts, look, could, what play call-wise were sound when you've got Jay Fair wide open. That's either first and goal or a touchdown. That's a good play call, period. It's not executed right. Uh, you had a 50-50 ball that Astrid threw up there. I think it was still third quarter. It might have been fourth quarter. Uh, that was not caught. Which off When he threw it, it looked like the DB was running the route for the wide receiver. But I think it was Hooks that, that jumped in front of him, got both hands on the ball, and dropped it near the goal line. It's like, hey, you get both hands on the ball. That was actually a quarterback giving you a 50-50 chance at a ball that you actually made a really good adjustment on and then didn't make the catch. Like, Okay, so that's not necessarily good or bad play call, but it's a play that was there to be made. And so when I look at that, I do think I do see at least some improvement in the plan from Cal game to Texas A&M game and what they were actually calling and what they were trying to execute. But obviously the execution was just as bad, if not worse, in the Cal game. You also factor in Damari Austin being out. The good news is I really love – I think the play player that you loved most out of AM was Brian Batie, who is now the one that stands to gain from Demari Austin's absence. And, in fact, he probably already did that in the AM game. I don't think he would have gotten 10 touches necessarily if Austin had been there. And Austin had been very productive. So, Brooks, when you're looking at the running back side of things and what could help out the <laughs> – try to help out the passing game if you don't have nine or ten in the box – uh, what did you think of the guy? I mean, you can include Jarquez Hunter here too. Just what do you think of what you have seen out of the running backs and especially out of the unknown commodities of Brian Batee and then to a lesser extent, Jeremiah Cobb? Yeah, I, I think they've done well in, in their roles that they've had so far this year. Um, I, I do think the Damari Austin uh, injury takes a toll because, you know, you you, you know everybody – uh, knows who Jarquez Hunter is around the conference, and and for the most part, people know the rest of that running back room because there's there's you know going into the season, you look at all the preview magazines, that was probably one of the top uh, position groups that Auburn had this year was that running back room. So I think most of the, your opponents know that you know to keen on the run, to, and just from the you know the last couple of weeks, they they know that Auburn's going to be relying on the run because it it doesn't look like the pass game can be something that they can rely on, but. Um, I, I like it, and you know, with the Demari Austin injury, it's going to hurt a little bit because he was uh, it, it was uh, arguably you know almost just as good as Jarquez Hunter as a running back. Um, but with him out, you're it's Jarquez, and now there's a little bit of a gap between him and uh, getting to Batty. But 
I think that it's not huge. I don't think it's not like you've got Jarquez Hunter here, uh, you know, your your number one back by, by far, and then it's oh, can we trust giving it to Betsy? I, I think that he, you know, he he's a commodity that uh, him and Cobb are both commodities that when you you look at what they've done in their roles so far this year, uh, we saw them a little bit more in that um, in that Samford game, uh, and, and I, I think that. They can fill in that gap that's needed where where Austin's uh, when Austin's not there, um, and it's they're going to have to be a, a big time commodity too because like I said, if you can't get that pass game going, you got to rely more on that run. You need more dynamic running backs because if you know that you can't, the other team's going to know that you can't throw the ball as well just by watching film, and so you're going to have to have some backs that can make some plays back there or else your your offense is going to get real bogged down really, really quickly. And we, we kind of saw that over this past weekend. Uh, but if, if you've got guys back there that can make plays, it opens up a little bit more. Uh, it, it gives your, your offense a little more confidence when you can move the ball, and uh, it gives them more, more chance to make bigger plays uh, against some of the tougher defenses. Yeah, and again, this certainly fits the bill as that. And I was tempted, and I thought more about it, I was tempted to say, well, maybe I do think the best course of, of action is just a whole bunch of read option with Robbie Ashford and a whole bunch of stuff that you saw the last three to five games of last year. And I, then I thought more about it. I was like, well – I think that would be right against maybe someone like Arkansas, someone that you feel like you could actually move around a little bit and, and win the line of scrimmage. But given who you're playing this week, I don't know if the 35 to 40 rush attempts versus 20 pass attempts is a successful side of things too. I think that someone like Georgia would be able to take better advantage of a one-sided offense uh, or a single-minded offense than someone that would be a little bit lesser defensively in the league. So I didn't even love that after further review either. So I guess I am on board with another week of Thorn, but uh, with an, a bye week coming, uh, still more tough competition after Georgia, but with a bye week coming, uh, this is feels like a now-or-never moment, honestly, for Peyton Thorne in his time as, as starting quarterback at Auburn. We are out of time for hour number one. Stay tuned in hour number two. More of your phone calls on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We'll get into the National Football League a little bit. We'll also reveal Sports Calls Player of the Week. And again, coming up at 5 o'clock on the dot, Zach Blackerby of Locked On Auburn. Stay tuned. A lot more Sports Call ahead on this Thursday edition after this timeout. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. It's 
Second hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday afternoon. Starting to talk a lot of football here in hour number two. Have some pro football coming up in just a few moments. And again, 5 o'clock, Zach Blackerby, Locked On Auburn podcast, will be with us to discuss Auburn, Georgia, the quarterback situation, what needs to happen moving forward, and all of that sort of thing. But we want to continue to hear from you on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, one triple nine tiger 9 We now go back to that Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Ward Damn Steve. Retire Ward Damn Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon? Well, good afternoon, Mr. Ryan LaVoy, Mr. Brooks Hensley, uh, Mr. Childress, and Mr. T.P. Havoc. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, the uh, Holy Trinity? Uh, something like that, yeah. <laughs> something like that? Okay. Well, back in the 70s, guys, uh, before, one hour before Monday Night Football, yes, I was around then, uh, and I still remember it, there was a show that would come on, hosted by none other than Fran Tarkenton, of the former Minnesota Vikings quarterback, and that show was called That's Incredible. They'd have incredible things that happen either in sports or non-sports. Well, after what happened last night, and I saw the video clip this morning, I'd say what Mr. Cunha did last night would fall would have fell into that category if that show was on today. That's incredible. Uh, not only what he did, because I asked you guys, do you think he might try to do it? And he did do it. But he did it in the bottom ninth inning, uh, giving the Braves a chance to pull out the game. And then he takes and removes the second base and waves it around by the crowd's going crazy. And then I guess he takes it with him. Uh, does he still have it in his possession? Did he give it to him? Yeah, again, I, I'm not sure the process of – I know Brooks has mentioned this. I'm not sure the process of uh, – he'll get it at some point, I think. I, I don't know if it goes to Cooperstown first or if he holds on to it for a little while. I, I'm not – I'm honestly not familiar with it. I would I would believe that he'd get to keep it at some point. I just – I don't know if it's got to go to Cooperstown for X amount of time or that sort of thing. Okay. I'm sure they'll – will they keep the – the original dirt on there will be clean it off. <laughs> I don't know if they'll clean it off, or I, I think they'll keep it as is. It might be fairly clean. I don't know. Okay. Now, do you think the record that he just made uh, will hold for forever, or will eventually be broken by someone else? Yeah, we were talking a little bit about this in the very first segment of the show. I, I think that it, someone else will do it at some point. Uh, I do not think it's one of the more more breakable records, or excuse me, unbreakable records in baseball. Like there's stuff like Ripken's consecutive games played streak and Cy Young's 500 wins and all that. Like some of that stuff is just absolutely absurd. It's because the game was different um, and, and more durable for for those guys. And so some of that stuff is absolutely not getting broken. I don't think that this is something that will be broken soon because again you're looking at a rare blend of speed and power uh but in 30 or 40 years sure there there could be someone that comes along i mean we're seeing these behemoth short short stops now like ellie de la cruz who to be fair has ended up not having a great year but these freaks of nature that are six five six six look like they'd be playing basketball or something that run like the wind and also hit for power it would not shock me if if it if it falls one day but uh, I do not think that it's something that's just the bar is going to keep being raised on it every couple of years. I do think it'll take some time. Okay. Well, uh, since I'm 72, uh, you guys are not near that age, then I don't think it'll be broken uh, during my lifetime. Is that pretty safe? I mean, we're going to wish you a lot more healthy years there, Steve. But, I, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I, I do think it will take some time. I do think it'll take okay. a while. Well, speaking of records, probably not ever being broken – 
here's what happened in 1941 uh, in Major League Baseball that uh, has yet to be broken. Do you know what happened? In 1941? Oh. Right on this date. Uh, not, off top, not off the top of my head. Anybody else? TP? Brooks? Was that the hitting streak? Any uh, chance? No. no, no I, okay. was it the hitting is close. It's close to hitting, though. What, what, you're very hot. Was it the last time a hitter hit over 400? Very good. Nice, very TP. Very good. Nice. Very good, TP. All right. And you didn't Google that, did you? No, no I didn't. didn't. I just remembered uh, during our show whenever Luis Arise was around that. Uh, I remember we always would talk about that, that area, so it was around the same year. So. And who did it? Uh, was it Ted Williams? Very good again. Yes. The last day of Major League Baseball's regular season on this day, the Boston Red Sox, Ted Williams, according to the Channel, gets six hits and eight at-bats, which is remarkable. Uh, and this is during a doubleheader. And he boosts his average to 406. Yeah, incredibly impressive. Yep. 406. Uh, do you think that record is, is, is beatable, breakable? Uh, I mean, we've seen some guys finish in 350s, 360s. Which that's where Arise is going to finish this year, I think, in 350s. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I would think that is on the very unlikely to be broken list. Um, I, I would not put it as unbreakable and untouchable because there are people that will at least sniff it for 60, 70 percent of the years. I know Chipper Jones hit about 400 up until August, about 15 years ago. So he got a month and a half, two months away from it. So I don't think it's absolutely unbreakable, but it's certainly going to be I, – I would not put money on it, uh, on it being broken. Well, here's what's even more incredible about – his achievement, because I read this here, didn't know he, he did this. He accomplished this uh, 406, uh, well, 400 uh, batting average uh, in spite of, get, get this, his career was interrupted twice for military service. Right, he yeah. He served in the Marine Corps during World War II and the Korean War and missed five major league baseball seasons and still did what he did, guys. Yeah, no, obviously he's a, a, a legend of the game and for good reason. All right, uh, Moving on, on this date also, something uh, notorious or infamous occurred in 1920, Major League Baseball. Uh, something Babe Ruth related? I, I don't was know. It, I, this is a wild guess. I'm not Googling. Did it involve, like, the Black Sox? Gosh, TP, uh, you should be of some trivia game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was the yeah. only thing that I could remember around that era of baseball. So <laughs> Exactly. Even though a Chicago grand jury, I forgot about this, uh, had indicted uh, eight members of the Chicago White Sox on charges fixing the 1919 World Series. They were all found not guilty. They were acquitted. Hmm. They were acquitted. However, though, uh, it says here that uh, the, uh, the, the baseball commissioner who happened to be a judge banned them for life. All right. That seemed so like a, a sort of admission that, of guilt. That the commissioner of baseball at that time was also a judge. Uh, and they said that uh, even though the evidence was really suspicious, uh, there was no concrete evidence that surely Joe Jackson uh, was involved in it. But anyway, that's what happened on this day, too. So th- there we go. I, I guess uh, they'll never be put in the Hall of Fame, then, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, not to, not, not to my knowledge. No, no, no. Uh, no backtracking. Yeah, I mean it's been a hundred years, so I, I, I would, I would think at this point, no. 
right, let's move on to the uh, other world sports club real quickly. Anthony Nesty, you know anything about him? I don't believe so. I didn't either, but I just read this from uh, NBC News. He becomes the first black U.S. head swimming coach for the USA Swimming Olympics. All right. Anthony Nesty. He also um, had this uh, accomplishment. He uh, He's a University of Florida coach, but he also won Olympic gold medal in uh, the uh, in the USA uh, Swimming Olympics uh, in um, it was in 1988. Okay, he's the first black male swimmer to win Olympic gold medal in the upset Matt Biondi in the 1988 Seoul Games. But he will be the first black coach to lead the U.S. team in uh, uh, the uh, Olympics coming up. So we got that. And then uh, Tom went around. He loved this one, a sport. I never knew it existed, but this comes from the New York Times, and it's called, hold on here, the Pack, Pack Raw, spelled S-E-P-A-K, the T-A-K-R-A-W. It's sometimes called kick volleyball. It's apparently an enormous popular sport in Southeast Asia. Did you know it's coming to the U.S.? No, no clue. Yeah, no clue. Yeah, and I didn't know that. They, have, they actually have a World Cup in it. That, so, that's surprising. Uh, uh, the thing about this sport is you cannot touch the ball with your hands. Okay. So, like soccer. Yeah, but they have a net, just like in volleyball. Interesting. And, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's the size, they said, of about of a grapefruit. It's a woven ball, and it traces back the history since the 1940s. And so, it's a popular sport in Malaysia and Thailand. And so you're trying to Thailand. score like volleyball, but with your feet, essentially? Exactly, okay. yeah. So it's a soccer without uh, net, um, basically. So there, there we go. I didn't know about uh, a rather mean or sport I never heard of, but there we go on that one. Okay, now about this game Saturday, guys. You know, I agree with what your sentiments were yesterday. Uh, I think it's either going to be a close game in the fourth quarter or it's going to be decided by the half, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's Cole Kubik, his uh, video cast or podcast, whatever, today on Head to Head with Air.com, made his prediction. Um, you want to guess what he predicted for the score or not? What would I guess he predict? Uh, yeah. 31 uh, to 6 or 31 uh, 10? I, I don't know. Pretty close. 35 14. Okay. Yep, 21 so, points. Uh, yeah, he, he doesn't give us uh, uh, much hope in that. And then I read a rather. Uh, touching uh, article and, uh, and really entertaining. I enjoyed reading it. If you haven't read it all yet, uh, read it if you're an Auburn fan, you might go ahead and do it. It's about Mr. Uh, Ricardo Lewis. Okay. Have you read it on AL.com? I have not. It's a really good read. Uh, it's entitled uh, by Matt Cohen, 10 years after Auburn's prayer Jordan Hare, Ricardo Lewis remembers the superhero play. And uh, what he says in uh, when he was interviewed for this article is that uh, he went to, uh, during the huddle, they called the timeout, uh, he went over to Nick Marshall and he said, throw it to me. He said, Nick Marshall just looked at him and said nothing else. Of course, the play was never supposed to go to him, right? It was supposed to go to Sammy Coates. Right, yeah, in the middle of the open. field there, yeah. Right, he was wide open, yeah. And you know the prayer Jordan here? Do you know who coined that phrase? Uh, not, not 100% sure. Who do you think it might have been? Rod Bramlett? Uh, no. He's a Birmingham sports writer. Or no, he used to be. 
Kevin Skarbinski? Very good. He was in the booth at that time along with Marcelo, and Marcelo's coded in there. Uh, and he said, should we call it the Marshall Miracle? And the guy said, no, I th- how about the prayer of Jordan here? And he said, okay, let's go with that one. Yeah, and uh, it certainly stuck. Yeah, it certainly stuck. Of course, I was at the game, and I said to the people above me, I was sitting there in the north end, I said, it ain't over, guys. I think it was like 33 seconds left of the game, and they almost came back on us, didn't they? Yeah, no, I mean, they got to around the 20-yard line or a little closer, and then Nick Fairley delivered another big hit on Aaron Murray and ball didn't make it to the end zone. But, yeah, I mean, they that that's the college game. You get out of bounds, get a first down, stop the clock, and uh, you again, Auburn's defense had played really poorly in that fourth quarter. I mean, they blew a three-score lead. So, uh, yeah, Georgia had, had been moving the ball, but fortunately ran out of time. Yeah, so uh, then I read – what is Ricardo Lewis doing 10 years later now? Do you guys know? Because I didn't know what he was doing. No, I, I know he played, I think, in like the XFL or one of those leagues for a little while, CFL. CFL, yeah. CFL, yeah. Big Marshall. Okay. Okay, so these days, according to the articles, he's living back in Miami, and he's involved says, in investing in stock markets, but he's also doing something really interesting. He's now an artist. He's painting. Okay, that's that's different. Yeah, he said he turned to that because he said he got very despondent and depressed uh, about long because of his injuries and being able to play football, which was always um, his, his dream. And so now he's painting, and uh, one of the uh, uh, one of the uh, paintings that he's um, apparently uh, liked, and they show a picture of it, it's called Time, uh, what is it called, uh, Time flies, and it has an eagle on there, sort of like our eagle, the bald eagle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a clock, and that's uh, the painting. They call it's called Time Flies, but that's what he does now. He says it's helped him mental health wise. So uh, I don't know if you guys could ever possibly uh, get in touch with him since the ten year anniversary. Uh, maybe you really need to um, to hear from him. But anyway, that's all I've got, guys. Uh, I've ran out of uh, breath here, and I've uh, rambled myself uh, as usual. So I uh, thank you for your comments and for your always allowing uh, me to get on the show. And uh, we'll do this again uh, sometime tomorrow. I look forward to hearing Mr. Blackaby's uh, comments. Guys, right now, uh, what's your really uh, legitimate uh, thoughts on uh, the odds of us actually pulling this upset, you know, realistically? Uh, my heart says I'd love to see him do it. And I know this uh, one computer picked uh, a crazy you know, outcome, which is not going to happen. Um, uh, I think, you know, realistically, um, we're probably going to lose um, the game, man. It's either going to be, I think, like you said, uh, either a blowout by the by the half, uh, or it's going to be coming down to the, the fourth quarter. But what do you guys give us a chance, uh, realistically? Uh, yeah, if you're looking for some sort of percentage, I mean, I'd probably go somewhere in the 10 to 15 percent range. I mean, I, Ouch. I yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't think it's very likely. I mean, you could maybe go up to 20 uh, because of the the home factor. If it was in Athens, I, I would go, you know, five to 10 percent, five percent. I mean, it, it would. Uh, Auburn said just no luck there, but you know, I think that the offense has just been so rough. It'd be such a surprise to all of a sudden go and score 20, 24, 30 points uh, like you would need to. Because I, I know that Georgia's offense is not great, but I just I would still be surprised, even with Auburn's defense playing well and, and all that, if Georgia was down at 10 
or, or seven or something for the whole game. And so you're talking about Auburn needing to be somewhere in the, the mid-upper 20s uh, to, to win. And uh, without a bunch of non-offensive plays, I, I just uh, I just don't see it. I don't see Auburn putting four to five 70 yard drives together against Georgia all of a sudden when when they've not they've not even put four to five drives together in their two power five games combined so to do it all of a sudden against Georgia would would truly shock me I don't know about these guys but but that's why I put it around the 10 to 15 percent range because I just I don't Auburn just does not have um have has not shown the offense required to score on a good defense Hey, Ryan, uh, I want to hear from you guys, but real quick, you know, I would agree with you, but then I gave you some more thoughts. I said, well, wait a minute. UAB was allowed to score 21 points. Yeah, I, and I understand. How do they do that? If we can't score, tw- surely we must have a talent level to score 21 yeah, points. But again, uh, it, it doesn't UAB. work that way. Steve, again, that, that that's way. not how the sports work because Georgia, I, I, I've used the example last year, Georgia beat Kent State 39 22. Uh, last year, and, and if if you were if you were taking that game and you made it apples to apples when they beat Oregon, what was it forty nine to three? So what what would that mean? That if Kent State lost by seventeen and Oregon lost by forty six, should Kent State beat Oregon by thirty points last year? It doesn't work that way. And, and so Georgia now this year, I, I do think that they. Uh, don't have the same quite a bite they did last year. I think last year they could have beaten any team in the country other than like Ohio State and Alabama by 30 points. I mean, r- really and truly, anyone but Ohio State and Alabama, they, they, could, have, they could have named their score. Uh, and so this year it's not that way, but they're still really good. And, and I know that, yes, as you said, UAB scored 21. But again, South Carolina scored 14. So is UAB going to go beat South Carolina this year? My answer to that is absolutely no. <laughs> I've watched UAB. No, they would not. So I just think that Georgia uh, just just kind of casually went into that game, and and uh, they won't casually go into the Auburn game. Okay. Brooks and uh, TP, your take, percentage-wise, Ants. Percentage-wise, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going on along that – 15 20 percent that that Auburn gets the win because you know I, I I give Auburn a little bit of uh, a little bit of credit for being at home and I, I give it uh, you know if you know their off Georgia's offense has been very very sluggish this year to get started so if Auburn could find something on offense to start the game uh, and you put uh, you, you put uh, George on their heels early. Uh, maybe they they you know in, in the defense plays a really outstanding game like they have a, for the last few games. Um, they can you know hold George off, but at the end of the day, Georgia's got so much talent on that defensive side of the ball. I don't know if Auburn if Auburn couldn't get anything offensively started with uh, against the Texas A&M team. I, I don't know if they would be able to do it against the Georgia team. So fifteen twenty percent. So how many defensive points uh, do we need to score? <laughs> defensive points. Uh, <laughs> How, how many can we get? That, yeah. That's that's what I'm. It might not again. It, the path to victory is defense creating not only maybe points for for Auburn, but setting up points for the offense. As in, okay, you find a way field position wise to back Georgia up first and ten inside of their own ten. Get the three and out. Get a decent punt return so that you start on Georgia's side of the field. Or yes, force the turnover. 
at the 30-yard line so that Auburn's already in field goal range before even having to do anything. That's that's the kind of stuff. Because realistically, George, uh, Auburn's not going to go out there and score two or three defensive touchdowns or two or three non-offensive touchdowns. They might be able to score one, although that's still uh, inherently not an incredibly likely thing, although it did happen last week. But it's about creating opportunities to stem the tide from when Auburn is not having much success in long-form drives. Because even against A&M in, the, in their best couple of drives, hell, there was a drive with Ashford where, again, they got inside like the 25 or so, got to about the 25, and ended up punting because of a couple penalties there in the fourth quarter. So, uh, again, you're asking this offense to make four to five 70-yard drives? I don't see that. But can they make one or two? And then have some forty-yard drives and stuff. Sure, that 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 becomes more realistic. So it's all it's not only about Auburn's defense preventing George from scoring much points. It's about setting up their offense in various ways to score. So Steve, you you asked my uh, running. So Steve, you had asked my uh, my percentage on it. I didn't get a chance to. So I'll, I'll give you my breakdown. I agree with these guys. It's between ten and twenty percent. The big deal. Uh, <clears throat> there's a really good phrase that I like to use in uh, games like this. It's styles make fights, and this is a really hard matchup for Auburn just because of how good that Georgia defense is. But we have seen where the Georgia offense has came out the gate, you know, kind of sleepwalking. You know, they've they struggled early against Ball State, and then they just kind of find that gear. They struggled early against. South Carolina, and then they they really shut them down that whole entire second half. So I think it's just a really hard stylistic matchup for them because I'm just, but uh, you know, you're going to need like a, I, I think you're going to need like a special teams play. You know, maybe a blocked punt or a blocked field goal or a big return on kickoff or punt return. It's just a really hard. It's going to be really hard to find points because just how how inept we've seen this Auburn offense look against far less talent and you know now you got the most talented team in the country coming in so it's just a really it's a really hard stylistic matchup and we see it every week you know uh, it's not just uh you know Auburn and Georgia they're matchups that are you know bad stylistic matchups against Alabama Ohio State you know so it's not just unique to that you know Georgia has bad matchups every now and then you know not due to their schedule but uh you know it's just that way so yeah I think it's just gonna be really hard to find points but if they can get like a, a big like defensive like takeaway early in the game, whenever maybe they're still, you know, sleepwalking through if they do go that route, then maybe we can see the Auburn offense take advantage of those short fields. Well Auburn's best strategy here, um, running the ball. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they're going to have to play ball control to a degree. I mean, they'll have to throw some because Georgia will not respect it otherwise, nor should they. And Auburn will have to make a couple plays in the passing game. They're not going to be able to run 50 times to 15 passes and expect to have 350, 400 yards offense. That's not going to happen. They will have to make uh, some pass plays that, quite frankly, they've not made in the A&M or in the Cal game. Uh, but in general, yes, Auburn will want to – they might want to come out if they can find early success and go a little bit no hustle, if they can frazzle Georgia a little bit, if they are able to make a couple quick uh, passing game plays. But in general, they're not going to want to be on the field a lot in this game. They're going to want to try to keep the ball away, and they're going to want to try – to, to see if they can try to tire Georgia's defense out, not the other way around. Because it was Auburn's defense that started to get tired in the second half against A&M, and justifiably so. So you're not wanting a repeat performance of that. That's why I was thinking, if we pass and go you know, 
three and out, then our defense could be yeah. more uh, expected than if you just run the ball and run some clock off. But it, but again, I, I will say this too: three and outs, three and out, and and it doesn't matter if you throw it or run it. You've got thirty seconds in between your plays, and then you're. And then that's a minute and a half, and then you're punting, and that's not going to save the defense either way. So you have to make some first downs. Uh, and they, yeah, uh, well, so, yeah. that run. If you throw, if you go three now, you're, you're throwing every down, and they go incomplete, then that's not right. the clock. I, I understand that, but but again, it, it, my my point is, if they go three now a lot, it won't matter how they went three now. It, it'll still be them returning to the field way too quickly. Okay, well, uh, let's hope for a prayer here. Um, Sam again, but uh, you know, I guess uh, I may start with some some uh, pregame uh, uh, drinking uh, <laughs> just, just to, to get ready. All right, thank you guys again. Have a safe afternoon, evening, and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Where you guys? Where you'll see. Appreciate your phone call. That is retired Ward M. Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, and we need to take a timeout. When we come back, Sports Call, we will reveal this week's Sports Call Player of the Week. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger ninety five point nine. easy it is to listen to our show all you have to do with your amazon smart device is say alexa play sports call auburn let's get back to sports call on tiger 95.9 feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9 Welcome back to Sports Call Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, Brooks Childress with you here. On this Thursday edition of the show, feels like it's only Tuesday. Well, for me, it kind of is because it's on my second show of the week. It's a bad joke there. I obviously missed Monday and Tuesday. Appreciate Brooks and the guys for holding down the four. I will again miss this coming Monday. Uh, not a Tampa trip this time, but some other business to attend to. So certainly appreciate the guys stepping in. Uh, when I'm not able to host the show. And uh, they will be giving the full game recap from Auburn, Georgia, and all this weekend of college football. About to pivot into some NFL. And as we do that, let's reveal this week's Sports Call Player of the Week. Miami Dolphins running back Devon Achain is Sports Call's Player of the Week. The rookie out of Texas A&M was a huge part of Miami's historic blowout over the Denver Broncos on Sunday, rushing 18 times for 203 yards and two touchdowns. He also caught four passes for another 30 yards and another two scores. The performance came with Achain only having two career carries entering the game. The 70-20 win stopped just two points shy of the most points ever scored in an NFL game and moved the Miami Dolphins to 3-0 on the season. Devon Achain is Sports Call's Player of the Week. Makes a lot of sense that after a near historical performance from a team that one of its players is a player of the week this week, Devon A. Chain, 
of Texas A&M, now of the Miami Dolphins. 200-yard rushing game, four total touchdowns. You know, Raheem Mostert still considered the number one back there and had a great game himself. Also had four touchdowns, just not as many yards as A-Chain, A-Chan, depending on who you ask. There was something that came out this week that he said that he is actually A-Chan instead of A-Chain. I don't know, man. Anyway, uh, he had a big performance. The Dolphins had a big performance. I know there was a discussion earlier this week on this show. Would you have kicked the field goal to get the 73 points? So TP Hammock, a little bit about A-Chan, but also would you have kicked the field goal to get 73 points? No, no. As as someone who has a family member who's in the coaching circle, and no, it's just not needed. I I understand why people would want to do that. You know, it's like, ah, you know, run it up on them. You know, who cares? They're professionals, all that. Eh, You know, there's there's mutual respect. You know, you're facing Sean Payton, and you're facing a really good program or good uh, franchise in Denver. But yeah, that was a great performance by the Dolphins as a whole. I. I remember I was watching Red Zone, and I love watching Red Zone. I was getting prepared to record a podcast, and I remember they just kept flashing up highlights of the Dolphins. I'm just like, how many points are they going to get to at this? You know, And they just kept going and going. And even whenever they put in their backups, they just kept scoring. I was just like, oh, my gosh. It was truly a historic performance. But, yeah, he was incredible. I remember watching him at Texas A&M. He was very good at Texas A&M. He, just, he had injury problems, so that's why he fell a little bit in the draft. But – I knew that if they would keep him healthy, he'd eventually make his way into that offense. But, boy, I didn't expect it this way. And uh, like you said, Mostert did great. Tua did great. I mean, it was not It was an embarrassment of riches on Sunday. So, yeah, it was um, it was an incredible performance. I, he was definitely deserving of that honor. Yeah, I, I just can't believe that that happened uh, in 2023, Year of Our Lord, where, I mean, again, it, it was not – I'm not overdoing this at all. I was um, – at a local sports bar watching all the NFL games on, on Sunday, as I often do. And I it just every single time you looked up, someone from Miami is is running an egregious amount of yards down the field and just untouched or has a convoy turn a, a few turnovers happen. I mean it just it, it just did not stop. Ten touchdowns in the game. I personally I've gone back and forth in this I think it would have depended who I was playing. I, I and, and and I do that a lot. It sounds like a cop out answer, but it is my real answer. Like if I'm playing a team that I feel like I could, you know, for them if they were playing AFC West team, so maybe I would have kicked it against them. But if I'm playing divisional team, I'm not doing it uh, unless they have talked a lot of junk or uh, or something prior to the game or uh, had a personal comment or something because they can come back around and get me. But if that's a cross-conference team, like if that had been, like from Miami's point of view, if that had been the Panthers or something, I don't know what the downside would have been. You're not going to see them again for three or four more years. They're not in a good situation as a franchise, so you wouldn't see them unless it was in the Super Bowl. So I, I, I would have probably done that. But if it was, again, if it's Miami versus the Patriots, which, again, Belichick team would never get up 70 points, but you, you know what I mean, then I'd be like, no, nah, I see you twice a year, and I don't want to go one and five in my next six against you just because I kicked the extra field goal. <laughs> so uh, I, that's probably how I would look at it. Again, since it's Denver, that's kind of a more questionable situation because you could play Denver most years with the way the schedules come out, but it's not mandated. You have to finish the same part of division, and then you still rotate uh, opposite divisions every three years. So, again, it 
it, it, it's a gray area. I think that you can make an argument for both, but they didn't need, let me put it this way. They didn't need it to show their authority in that matchup and just how damn good they've been so far through three games. Let's look at some of these matchups coming up this week in the NFL. We won't have time to get to a lot of these right now. Again, Zach Blackerby coming up at 5 o'clock, so we'll talk more Auburn George with him. Then maybe we'll have a couple more NFL thoughts after that interview at 5. But the game tonight's Lions-Packers, two 2-1 two teams uh, in the NFC North. I think people have kind of forgotten Green Bay exists, but they are 2-1 and one, and same record as Detroit. So that's an interesting one at Lambeau tonight. Lions were uh, good against the Falcons on Sunday despite some injuries. Of course, you can hear all Anna Falcons games right here in Tiger 95.9 each and every Sunday, including a breakfast special uh, from London against the Jaguars. But Lions get to 2-1, Packers 2-1, uh, Bears, they exist, and Vikings also exist, both at 0-3 this year. Very disappointing for, for the Vikings to be 0-3 too. Uh I mean, is this – I know it's week four. I'm not trying to overdo things, but for tiebreakers and that sort of thing, does this is this how you see the NFC North playing out, basically, these two teams and what happens when these two teams play each other, essentially? I think it's very important. Uh, I know that Detroit's historically struggled at Green Bay. We kind of look – we overlooked that because we all remember last year whenever they went in there and they upset Aaron Rodgers and them and knocked them out of the playoffs. But historically – Detroit has really struggled against the Packers, so it'll be really interesting to see that. I really um, – the Packers kind of got bailed out there whenever Derek Carr uh, busted up his shoulder there, which was very unfortunate because he was – they were looking really good in Green Bay, which is a really hard place to play just in general. And so it's going to well, be – Well, you know why that happened. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, you're you good. You know why that happened, right? Because New Orleans plays Tampa Bay this weekend, <laughs> and somewhere it's decreed that Jameis Winston must face the Bucks every single time. Oh, my gosh. So that, that's why that occurred. It was just preparing us for what is always decreed to happen. But anyway, please continue. I didn't I didn't even think of that until just now, but that's going to be must-watch TV. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's just – and it's also on a Thursday night, so – it's going to be interesting to see how golf does in that um, in Green Bay. Thankfully, it's not like in November or December yeah. where it'd be really hard to really hard to play out there. But yeah, I, I do think this is important towards that uh, divisional um, clinching status because the Vikings are just zero and three. The Bears are zero and three, and so now you have the chance to really take a hold of that division because if you can knock off the Packers you, you know you can afford and then they'll come back to forward field so this is the only time that you're going to play them in Green Bay so yeah this is about I wish it didn't go this way but I mean we all kind of talked about how we thought Detroit may be able to upset the apple cart a little bit because they they just got so hot last year and it looks like they're doing really well outside of that little hiccup against Seattle but you know you could have seen that coming after a high emotional win against Kansas City so yeah I think Detroit and Green Bay whoever wins this game's in a really good position for the long ride yeah I'm still interested to see Jordan Love more too because uh, he did lead a comeback I mean while, yes, the New Orleans offense started to falter in the fourth quarter, you did have to come up with three scores in, in one quarter, and so that was not a small thing uh, that, that Jordan Love accomplished. So I'm interested to see how he continues to be builds all that because he, he was the victim of that in week two when Atlanta came back from a couple scores uh, to, to win, and, and Love and the, the offense went quiet in the fourth quarter. So he's been on both ends of the spectrum in consecutive weeks. Uh, can you name the three undefeated teams off the top of your head in the NFL? Okay, I'm not looking at my computer because there's right now. there's a good matchup or two involving these teams this week. Oh gosh, the the three undefeated teams. There's only three after three weeks. Yeah, that 
Uh, San Francisco. Yeah, that's one. Eagles. Yep. And then, ooh, uh, who's the last one? Uh, it's not them. Uh, hmm. I'll give you a hint. It gives it away. <laughs> they, <laughs> they stood out this week. <laughs> no, the Dolphins. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Uh, so already down three undefeated teams. The NFC South trio all went crashing down this past <laughs> week in New Orleans, Atlanta, Tampa Bay. And then Washington certainly joined them that getting thumped by Buffalo, which leads me to what I think will be, uh, I, in my estimation, probably the game of the week. I know there's some uh, there's a 3-0, 2-1 matchup between Washington and Philadelphia, that sort of thing. And there's still a couple other more valid games, too, like Baltimore-Cleveland, which we could talk about. But Miami at Buffalo is a, is a really intriguing one. Uh, Buffalo – Looked really good last week. Of course, they intercepted Sam Howell four times. You're going to look pretty good after you do that. And uh, looked like they were starting to click and trying to remove themselves from the Stefan Diggs murmurs of, uh, you know, a lack of con- contentness and, and that sort of thing. But th- that's, a, that's an interesting one because you're Miami, you're going to Buffalo. So Buffalo's got their home crowd behind them. And you know that the Jets are just not going to factor into this anymore. It does not appear like it does not appear like the Patriots will factor in this year. At least not at this level. They might still factor in the wild card. I just I would find it hard to believe that they would compete for the division. So this is a huge thing, and Miami's trying to unseat a team that has been the team since Brady left New England in that division. This is does this feel like? And maybe it's already valid to you, but does does this feel like? a validating moment for Miami if they can go on the road, score 30-plus points. I don't want to say 70. uh, 30 or so points and go beat Buffalo in their home stadium. Yeah, I definitely think that'd be a really important thing to do. That'd validate you as one of the best teams in the league if you can go up there in Buffalo and handle them, and they have a really good defense up there. So it will be – it's very important towards that divisional race as well because – That'll put the Bills at two divisional losses already, and Miami will continue to be undefeated if they were to get this win. So, yeah, I I definitely think that'd be their, like, you know, they scored 70 points against the the winless Broncos. You know, that's still impressive, but, you know, at the end of the day, Broncos haven't won a game. If you can go up there and you can beat Buffalo in Buffalo, which is a tough environment, very crazy, passionate fans – yeah, I, I think you definitely put the league on notice as, you know, one of the teams to beat because it's like, okay, this is your, you know, this is the time. You have to step up to the plate because everyone's going to be watching you now. It's the 12 o'clock window, but still everyone's going to be watching to see how you follow up after that. So, yeah, I think this is um, this is a critical game for the Dolphins so far this season. Yeah, I mean, and, and also from the Bills' point of view too, I'll take this moment because this has been the team – that's not seen the fruits of regular season labor so far in the AFC. We've seen, obviously, a lot of Kansas City. But it was Cincinnati that broke through this kind of run that Kansas City's is going on uh, to, to make uh, a Super Bowl there, even in a loss to uh, the Rams. But other than that, it was Kansas City last year, I think in the Bengals, but then Kansas City and then Kansas City. And so – the team in the regular season that's been most consistently keeping up with KC is Buffalo, but yet they were not the team to break through a couple of years ago. We know Cincinnati's having some problems out of the gate this year. Buffalo's still trying to position themselves because there are some valid concerns with Kansas City's receiving core. What happens if uh, Travis, I'm dating Taylor Swift Kelsey, 
Uh, yeah, I had to throw that in there. I mean, <laughs> you know, that it's it's going to be. I'm going to do my best, but I'm just telling everyone it's going to be incredibly hard to ignore that fact because they every they are so loud and it's dominating so many headlines and it's taking over the NFL. I'm try to ignore it at times, but at times there's going to have to be jokes thrown. I'm sorry, but Travis Kelsey is an aging tied in like I don't want people to think that he's got eight more years of this he's already 34 going on 35 with an with his first like legit injury in quite some time coming into the season so it's not like they've got many more years of him to enjoy and I'm just curious from the Buffalo perspective like if you get jumped in the line by someone else in your division how frustrating that might be for a franchise that, yes, there are certainly less successful franchises out there, teams that have uh, not won a Super Bowl that have just stunk and stunk. But for them to have been so close in the 90s and for them to feel like the the runner-up to Kansas City for the last three or four years, like if Kansas City is to stumble this year or next year or whenever, you would think that Buffalo needs to be the team to take advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, you can kind of like look at it back uh, to whenever it was 2019 and 2018. Originally, whenever Kansas City started to make that run, they did it off of a very high-powered offense. They weren't able to get past Brady. Uh, excellent AFC uh, championship game. We all remember that. So it kind of does look like that. I'm not saying that the Dolphins are going to go on a Chiefs-like run, but they're definitely looking very similar to that, and they just got a really good uh, defensive coordinator in Vic Fangio, who was the Denver Broncos coach for a couple seasons, and he's been around the league as a defensive coordinator. So, yeah, you got to think this would be absolutely just – I know we're only – this is week four, but that, that would definitely be a backbreaker for, say, or a heartbreaker for the Bills to be like, oh, well – Here's another team that's jumping in front of us. You know, you can still say that the Bengals, even though they're one and two, you know, you can be like, oh, you know, they still they beat us last year in the playoffs, you know. So it could be like, oh, well, now, you know, it looks like the Dolphins have leaped over us. So, yeah, this is, I mean, the Bills, the, they talk about the Super Bowl window. Theirs are, theirs are really close to being closed, but it's not there yet. It just feels like with every passing year that they don't capitalize, that roster's getting older. They're going to have to, you know, the contract with Josh Allen's not going to help. It's a very expensive contract. So you feel like they're just – it's very close to just being a missed opportunity. And then I don't know what you do after that because, you know, Stephon Diggs was a little unhappy before the season. And, you know, he's getting older and Von Miller's not getting any younger. So it's this is not a young team. This is not a young team. So – yeah, the, the Bills need to capitalize, and they need to capitalize in a hurry. One more game I want to talk a little bit about before we go to the end of our timeout. Again, Zach Blackerby will be joining us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Atlanta and Jacksonville, since we cover the Falcons on 95.9 right here each and every Sunday. Falcons 2-1 and one this year, but still raising just as many concerns as exciting topics just because of the offensive output so far. Uh, very exciting about B. John Robinson and about uh, – I was watching Algier, who seemed like he was breaking like eight tackles whenever he was getting opportunity against Detroit. That's still intact there. But we talked to Joe Bartle earlier uh, in the year, a few weeks ago, about Atlanta's offense just from a fantasy perspective, and he just absolutely hated it. And it's, it's very, it's very I, I would say on the outside, disappointing because – they have a weapon at all the skill positions to where you say, wow, that's that could be a top 
you know, seven or eight guy. Maybe not at wide receiver in London, but he certainly could be a, a true number one receiver. But you look at Pitts, there's no reason he shouldn't be a very, very good tight end. You look at Bijan, and he's already looking really good. And then, like I said, Drake London could still be a high-end wide receiver. And yet, I'm looking at it right now. Their leading receiver is Matt Collins. And you know what he's at in three games? 114 yards. That, folks, would not get you anywhere near 1,000 yards for a for a full season. That would be about a six or 700-yard receiver. And, and so it's it's kind of frustrating just from a neutral point of view, although, you know, Bucks fan division not going to be rooting for him, um, that they are not utilizing those weapons because they are clearly there, and they're 2-1, and one, so in some instances you say, well, what's wrong? Well, what's wrong is you will not beat any good teams – not taking advantage of your best players. And if your your best players can be taken out of these games, you know, Arthur Smith runs a different s- scheme than most of the league. It's very akin to what Baltimore did. Uh, and I almost say poor, I, or in reference to Baltimore, in past tense, did because they seem like they're moving Lamar a- away from more design runs. But they, they run the quarterback some, and they, they do pistol, and they – they, they get their backs involved and all that. But their personnel is, is actually su- such that they probably should be looking at other ways to doing it. But then again, I'm not sure if Desmond Ritter is capable of doing that. So what do you see out of the Falcons as they get ready for uh, their London game against Jacksonville? I think you did a great job of explaining it. It just seems more or less like I, I think Arthur Smith's a really good play caller. I think he's, he's going to be a really good head coach as long as Atlanta sticks around with him. I think they're just uh, scared to use Desmond Ritter, honestly. I think they make him really limited, or I think he might just be limited. I think they, I think that's the problem right now is Desmond Ritter. I'm looking at his numbers right now. He So far this season through three games, he has 553 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception. That's not going to win you many games in today's football league. Maybe in 1990, sure, but you know he's just not doing much with it. And maybe that's the scheme. Maybe that's the style that Arthur Smith wants to do with more running and not as much throwing but at the end of the day in today's football world you have to throw the football effectively and get to a Drake London a Kyle Pitts you're gonna have to throw it out to Bijan Robinson to get some yards you know you can't just you know run triple option you know so yeah it's I think it comes down to quarterback I think if this trend continues where it's just like oh you know here's another very average maybe below average Falcon season with how good the quarterback class is coming up for this NFL draft, you don't think they might just take a peek into that? I mean, there are so many good talents this year. I'm not saying, you know, bench Desmond Murray. I'm not saying that. You know, he's got 14 more games to play with. So I'm just saying, though, that if it doesn't improve this year, you you might start looking around and you might well, check that free agent market. Well, yeah, so. and there might be so many quarterbacks available that even at 17, 18, 19, wherever they would be picking in the draft, because they might still win the division. They might come to shore. I mean, there's still a lot of possibilities. I don't think there would be some four or five one team. I think that's clear. I think they're at least going to be around 500. Uh, again, that that's why I know that there's more to get out of this team because they're clearly not getting it out of those skill position guys. And yet I'm here very confident that they're at least a competent team. But there's so many guys that the good news for them is even at the high teens, 
QB four or five or six this year might still end up being as starting NFL quarterback that, that is more than acceptable, or they'd certainly be in range to, to make a trade here and there and that sort of thing. But uh, it just is interesting because Atlanta is two and one, and yet it feels like there's more you could get out of them. Uh, they just got to see more from Desmond Ritter and, and, and get those uh, skill position players on the edge a little bit more involved. Out of time for our number two. When we come back, Zach Blackerby, host of the Locked on Auburn podcast and co-host with Brad Law of Village Vice, will join us. They'll talk all things Auburn football next. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, and Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday evening, and we are now excited to go back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, and we welcome on Zach Blackerby, the host of Locked On Auburn, also of Village Vice with Brad Law. Zach, the time is greatly appreciated. How are you this afternoon? I'm good, guys. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. We're getting near under 48 hours uh, from Auburn and Georgia. And, Zach, I know we had you on just prior to the start of the year First four games, let's briefly recap them. I know the record may be not surprising. Uh, however, the way it's looked, particularly offensively, has been surprising. Uh, what all has uh, gone wrong all with the offense in the first four games, but conversely, what has gone right with the defense in the first four games? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the offense has been bad. I think a lot of it has to do with quarterback play and just guys not being on the same page uh, when it's all said and done. And I think Q Freeze and – Philip Montgomery have demanded a certain level of decision-making and attention to detail, and as of this point, uh, the personnel hasn't hasn't lived up to that. Then, yeah, like you said on the flip side, uh, while the offense has been worse than we expected, I think the defense has kind of punched up a little bit. I think the defense has certainly overachieved. Eugene Asante, a big part of that, as well as just the outstanding play from Auburn's defensive backfield. So, uh, what does that mean moving forward? Uh, I, I think I think there's still a lot of concerns as uh, as George is coming to town. Absolutely, that will uh, do it to a lot of teams. The number one team in the country, two-time defending national champion, and obviously a game that may, means a lot to Auburn as the Deep South's 
oldest rivalry. So let's talk quarterback, Zach, because that's the talk of the town. With Peyton Thorne, what are you seeing that is going wrong and, and what can be corrected uh, against a tough Georgia defense? Well, I think Auburn needs to run the football a ton. You know, the, the first storyline that emerged whenever Peyton Thorne committed to Auburn was, wow, he was really good when he had Kenneth Walker and this great running back and this great running game to help him out. And we all thought, okay, well, Jarquez Hunter can do that. At the time, we were talking about how Damari Austin could do that. Sadly, he's not going to be able to do it on Saturday. Jeremiah Cobb, Brian Batty, I mean, I think all of these guys can play, right? And we haven't really seen this team pursue the running game, have a desperation to run the football at any point this season. They came out with a plan to run it against Cal, and then after like two series of it not working, they abandoned it, they panicked, they you know, threw Robbie in to run some, uh, some packages, and they started trying to throw it. And, they kept, and then once they kind of got the ball going again and were running the football, they couldn't hold on to it. Damari fumbled, Jarquez fumbled, and then fortunately the defense was able to hold on to things. And then against Texas A&M, it seemed like they wanted to come out and pass the football. They wanted to come out and run with the quarterback. And then once they started running the ball a few series later, they started having some success, and then they kind of went away from it. So I think that's going to be a big part of it is can Auburn run the football and help Peyton Thorne out? Zach, when, when you look you know, four games into this season, the first three games, penalties weren't really an issue for this Auburn team, but then they reared their head in, in this Texas A&M game. Why do you think it, 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 four games in, penalties all of a sudden became an issue this past weekend? I think things vary based off of the officiating crew and matchups. And, I mean, there's holding on every play. It's just kind of selective on when you, when you call it. Um, I don't know. I mean, also just the eye test, right? I mean, does this – team look like it's a really well-coached team I don't think it I don't think any of us would really say yes to that so I'm sure there's several factors guys that impact that but you know until until this person this group of personnel reaches that level of detail that Phil Montgomery and Hugh Freeze are asking yeah I think you are going to see penalties so, Zach, with uh, this weekend coming up, Georgia's Carson Beck will be making his first road start of his career. What can Auburn fans expect to see out of uh, this new starting quarterback that replaced the uh, Stetson Bennett? Well, right now he's not playing as good as Stetson Bennett, but I think naturally I mean, he's more gifted than Stetson Bennett. But he's started slow up to this point. We saw that in South Carolina. We'll see if that happens when he comes to Jordan-Hare Stadium. And you got to think – if you're going to start slow at home, you're likely to start slow on the road. I think they're going to try to help him out a bunch. I think they're going to do similar to what Auburn should do with Peyton Thorne. I think they're going to run the football a bunch. They're going to have a lot of quick plays, get the ball away from him as quick as possible. And then over the course of the game, he tends to get more comfortable. That's what we've seen from Georgia so far this year. And I think that's what they're going to try to do against this Auburn defense. Zach, when you're looking at uh, Georgia's defense, obviously some people are noting that uh, UAB was able to score 21 on them, the 14 that South Carolina scored in the first half, although Georgia was completely different defense in the second half. Uh, I, I know that the, the game needs to be centered around the ground game for Auburn, but uh, what what can what, if anything, can Auburn attack in Georgia's defense? Do you see any weaknesses there that, that might be conducive to success? 
Georgia people think it's the linebackers, and so I'll believe them. I think that's fine. They've got five stars everywhere, right? But, um, you know, it's it's tough to call something on this Georgia roster a weakness because it's all good. But I think I think the most vulnerable vulnerable spot is the linebackers. And so what do you do with that? You know, you, you lean on Rivaldo Fairweather. You lean on Jay Fair. You make linebackers make decisions in the RPO game. And I think all of a sudden, you know, that's how you kind of capitalize on that. And we'll see if Auburn does that on Saturday. I don't think anybody's really been accurate in predicting what these game plans were going to look like so far this year, with the exception of maybe the Sanford game. I think everybody agreed that they needed to throw it a lot to get Peyton comfortable, and a lot of good that did right against Texas A&M. But I think you, uh, yeah, I think you make those linebackers uncomfortable in the running game. You're on short stuff, crossers, make them, you know, make them kind of spread out in coverage a little bit, and then Peyton Thorne running the RPO, you know, and you see where those linebackers are, and you go where they're not. I think that's going to be a big part of it. Obviously, in the first Power Five matchup against Cal, the quarterback carousel was out of control. We then saw. Uh, against Texas A&M, something that made more sense logically from the standpoint of a struggling offense trying to attempt to ignite things with the backup. What? How quick do you think the hook would be on Saturday if Peyton Thorne begins struggling and the offense continues to do what it's done in the first two Power 5 games of the year? It may depend on how the game develops. You know, is, is Georgia only up three points and he's still struggling in the third quarter or something like that? If Auburn's defense is able to keep him in the game, or if Auburn has a long run for a touchdown or something like that to kind of keep Auburn in it. Uh, but it, if it's not, um, I, I think you make the change afterwards. I think with the bye week next week, if you're going to make a change, I don't know if you need to do it in the middle of the game unless it's close, unless you think, okay, you know, we're one drive or two drives away. Can Robbie potentially get us there or Holden Gurner get us there? That'll be the debate that they would have on the sideline. I don't think his leash is very long. I think it's as short as it, as it uh, probably could be. I can't imagine Hugh Freeze and Philip Montgomery are happy with what Peyton's done so far. And look, just talking to folks close to the situation, what happened last week was embarrassing. It was bad. I mean, that was some of the worst quarterback play that we've seen in a while. And guys, we've been around here for a second. Like We've seen some weird things happen on offense. It was, it was, it was bad. And it stinks because everybody's looking at the seven sacks and blaming the offensive line and blaming the lack of catches and receptions and guys getting open on the receivers. But a lot of it comes to the quarterback play. And, you know, if they think pulling him and putting Robbie in can create a spark, um, I'm not going to tell them they're wrong at this point. Zach, when Hugh Freeze got here and brought Philip Montgomery on, he said that Philip Montgomery was going to be uh, doing majority of the play calling, but he reserved the right to you know call some plays. Uh, you know, th- this past week he was asked about you know more play calling duties, and he he you know kind of gave the same kind of answer. Do you see him getting more involved in play calling going down the stretch here this season? I don't. I, I think he's kind of put himself in a box at this point. I think it's been strategic to some extent, but I don't know why he would. I don't know why he would. I mean, he's, uh, he's in a situation now where, like, this is your offense. I think the play calling's been fine. I don't think it's been the reason Auburn's struggling. I think a lot of it's execution, specifically at the quarterback position. But also, part of me, guys, and this is me putting my tinfoil hat on, but part of me thinks if, it's, if, if I'm Hugh Freeze and Philip Montgomery's getting all of this, 
negative pub, I guess. I don't want to say hate. So negative pub, or people are talking about Philip Montgomery's play calling. Why, like, why would you touch that? Like, I, if I'm Hugh Freeze, I don't know why I would necessarily put myself in that situation. So I, I just don't think there's a whole lot of upside for him to call plays up until this point. And to the folks that are saying, hey, Hugh Freeze is an offensive-minded coach. He was brought in to run his offense. He was brought in to call plays. I think that's wrong. I think it's incorrect. Hugh Freeze was brought in to build up the Auburn football program back to where it was at some point. And to me, he does that by recruiting and making sure the talent on this roster stays where it is, and he's put more of an emphasis on that than him calling plays. That's why he hired Philip Montgomery. So uh, to me, I don't know why he would at this point, but that's just my gut feeling on it. So, Zach, what do you think the Auburn offense needs to do to get back into a rhythm and get back to some continuity? What, what do you think it starts with there? I think they need to run the football, and I think they need to get their best offensive players involved in the offense, and that's the running back. It's Jarquez Hunter. I think it's Brian Batty. We've always seen in his small sample size so far. I think it's Jeremiah Cobb. Uh, you get those guys the football early and often. I think it opens up some things by putting stress on these linebackers and these safeties, these guys in the middle of the field. And you get into Jay Fair and Rivaldo Fairweather. I think it's pretty simple stuff. It's just they got to go out and do it. Talking to Zach Blackerby of Locked On Auburn today on Sports Call, also of Village Vice. Zach, one or two more for you. Uh, looking at this Georgia game, I, I know that there's been some some comments in the in the media from Hugh Freeze that people didn't necessarily love because it was like so, something to the effect of it's an Auburn love week, not a Georgia hate week, and and I don't. I don't know if, if that uh, really matters too much in this situation, but th- nevertheless, this is one of these games that Auburn has not uh, won very often under Gus Malzahn, obviously under Brian Harson. Uh, and, and Hugh Freeze is trying to build a program to be able to obviously get the job done in a game like the Georgia game. So what do you think you know, is a realistic timeline? Because we've talked timelines out loud in the media too. What's the realistic timeline for Auburn being able to approach this game, not from the standpoint of how can they keep it close, but how can they win it? Timeline as far as like the game plan? Yeah, t- timeline in terms of, of this program being built. Not necessarily just – I'm not necessarily talking about Saturday, but timeline in terms of uh, oh, years. Yeah, I, yeah. Mean, I, I think it's been – I think the answer to that is the same as – what we would have said going into the year. I mean, I think this program's three years away, four years away. Give Hugh Freeze the time to have him be responsible for every player that's on this roster. I mean, we're seeing what he's doing from a recruiting standpoint. Guys, look, I mean, Texas A&M, like, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I did a show on it. But you look at, like, Texas A&M starting offensive lineman. It was, like, number one player in Georgia, number one player in Florida, number one player in Texas. And it's like you're going up against these dudes that, sure, they were – they were highly rated in the transfer portal, but you know, like Gunnar Brindle is like the 200th ranked offensive lineman in this class, and you, you're, he's going up against a dude who's like top five, and that's just that's just it. I mean, it's a it's a talent thing, and I mean, the 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 way the schedule falls really is going to hurt some people's perception on what's happening at Auburn because Hugh Freeze is going out and acquiring talent. It's just not here yet, or it's 18 years old standing on the sideline, but. This is going to take time. And look, Auburn, we all thought, a lot of people thought Auburn was going to go 3-1. and one. And a lot of people thought Auburn's going to go 7-5 and five going into the year, and I still think Auburn's going to go 
seven and five. The issue is they're probably going to lose three straight. They may lose four straight in doing all of that. So we'll certainly see. Uh, we'll certainly see what happens. Um, but as far as the timeline goes, yeah, I mean you, you've always been three or four years away from Georgia. He's Zach Blackerby, the host of the Locked On Auburn podcast and host of Village Vice with Brad Law. The time is greatly appreciated. Zach, how can everyone find the both uh, podcasts and, and some of the subject matter that's coming up on those podcasts? Yeah, Locked On Auburn and Village Vice, available wherever you get your podcasts. Just search them on YouTube. They pop up. And then you can read all of our written work at auburndaily.com. Sounds good. Zach Blackerby, again, Locked On Auburn host and a Village Vice. Appreciate the time today, Zach. Uh, look forward to seeing you out there at the stadium again soon and uh, look forward to chatting you again down the line. Hey, thanks, guys. Y'all have a good one. Zach Blackerby today with us on Sports Call. We're going to take another time out. Back with more right after this. Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you're currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. the sports call tiger 95.9 ryan lavoy brooks Childress, tp hammock with you here on this thursday afternoon turning into evening appreciate zach blackerby of locked on auburn and village vice for joining us on the program just a moment ago if you missed that go back and check it out on the sports call podcast presented by coca-cola coca-cola taste the feeling i think that again a lot of what zach's talking about is kind of the things we've been mentioning on the show throughout the week. I did find the most interesting answer to be uh, his belief that Hugh Freeze should continue to stay away from play calling at least this year because I personally think this is headed in the direction where Hugh Freeze will be calling plays for Auburn at some point. I I think that's the direction it's heading. It may not be this year, and I'm not just suggesting necessarily that it should in what is ultimately going to be a down year, but I do think that at some point it is going to be a thing that, that starts happening or is at least uh, called by by others outside the program to start happening. And I think that he was very good at it in his career, too. It's not coming from a place of desperation. It's coming from a place of a perceived strength of Hugh Freeze's. But as Zach talked about, which is fair, he's wanting any and all resources and ability to recruit and be the lead recruiter and to get the talent in the place and then the logical standpoint from there is then he could call the plays because then he's calling the, the plays with the talent that he wanted to have and the guys that he himself recruited to have. So 
there is some logic behind that for sure. But I do find it interesting because play calling has been a real topic. And any time the offense is struggling to this degree, there's going to be a multitude of reasons why. And I think we can all agree that the plan against Cal was poor. The plan against AM was better, maybe not perfect, but certainly better. And so that is an interesting point. How do you guys feel about the play calling dynamic? And if we should be just kind of looking at it, again, I don't want to throw this year away. We value each and every game, each and every season so much. So I'm not saying that. But if we should be looking at this through a longer lens and say, you know what, let's see how this works with Montgomery all season long. But Hugh Freeze ultimately is going to need to be the guy calling plays. Or do you feel like this should be a topic for this year? Do you feel like it should be a topic that – Say, no, I, I don't care. I want my best play caller from the get-go, and I don't want to wait, and I don't I don't care if he can't recruit quite as much if he's having a game plan more on offense. I don't care. Where, where, where do you fall on that? Um, You know, it, it's it's so it, – it's weird. It, I'm, I'm on the fence about it because, I, you know, you, you look at uh, Hugh Freeze in the past, and he's been the play caller at his other, at his other head coaching stops. He's with that play caller at Liberty, play caller at Ole Miss – and they they had you know great success uh, during that time, um, and, and with with their offenses, and they were able to score points. But it's like you said, uh, Ryan. It was with their with their players, with his players, and so you you know I I, I kind of feel the same way. Where you know if, you, if he takes over play calling, um, it, it's after you know a year or two when he when he's able to get his guys in. Um, the, the, the thing that I'm also kind of on the fence about is Phil Montgomery is a good play caller. We know this from, from his history. He was the, he was the offensive coordinator at Baylor during the, the Art Bryles, uh, uh, years and they had a dynamic offense and they had Robert Griffin, the uh, third, a dynamic quarterback, uh, those years. And, and even without him, you, you saw their offense scored points. They, they were able to score a lot of points. Uh, during those during those years at Baylor, and so I, I feel like you you know you, I feel like this year you're on offense. Either one of these coaches, whoever was playing plays, Hugh Freeze, Philip Montgomery, was going to take their lumps a little bit because of the the lack of uh, of elite talent on this roster. And I you know, like Zach was saying, you you brought in uh, you know a guy like Peyton Thorne. He hasn't lived up to the hype, but. It, it the 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 moderate hype I should say, but I, I think going forward after this year, once you get some of these players in that you're recruiting and and can take your team to that next level, I, I don't know. I feel like either of these guys will have success as the play caller because we saw the success that Hugh Freeze has had, and we saw the success that uh, that uh, Philip Montgomery has had uh, as play callers and and with their offenses, and and so it's it. You know, I feel like if, if you keep having success here in, in the recruiting world, how it is, how, how it's going right now, honestly, maybe hold off Hugh Freeze calling the plays and being more that CEO guy that's able to, to be more on the recruiting side of things and, and guide the guide the team and let Philip Montgomery be the play caller, unless it just doesn't look better once you get the, the uh, once you get more uh, more highly recruited guys in. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I definitely believe in Philip Montgomery. I, I just, you know, you brought it up, Ryan, is that there were times in that Texas A&M game where there were receivers open. There was touchdowns left on the field. It wasn't like it was just, you know, 
bad play calling, you know, you can usually tell there were good plays. They was just on the execution part. You know, the coach can't go out there and make that throw or make that catch. So, yeah, I, I think Philip Montgomery has a really good track record of offense and having good offensives behind him. This isn't some random guy. This is a good, well-established coordinator slash, and he was even a head coach for a couple of years. So it's just, yeah, I, I think it was a good call by Hugh Freeze originally, and I don't think Hugh Freeze does need to jump back in there. You know, that would feel kind of panicked, you know. It's just like you spend all offseason saying this is his offense, you know, I'm going to take a step back, and you take a loss to a, a – a, a team that a lot of people think are pretty good in Texas A&M, and I'm not going to vouch for the Cal plan. That was terrible. That was awful. I'll count that as an outlier. He's done. It's been fine for the most part outside of that one game, but yeah, I feel like that'd be a really rushed move for him to just take back over play calling and it'd feel a little panicked, so I think this year you you let Phillip continue calling it, and you'll probably still go about 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five like we anticipated it to be. And so then if next year, if we get around this point and it's still looking this bad on offense, yeah, I think you can start to see some movement in that. We're going to take another time out right here. When we come back, we'll get a little bit more final segment or so on NFL as we look ahead towards this weekend games. Again, Thursday is our predominant NFL show and our day to do picks since the first NFL game of the week is always played on Thursday night. So we'll come back. A few more thoughts in the NFL as we start to wrap up the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger Back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday edition of the program. All right, let's talk a little bit more of NFL before we get out of here on this Thursday. I already talked a little bit about the Thursday night game of Lions and Packers. Ravens-Browns, something we didn't really hit much on in that 4 o'clock hour. Uh, these two teams were interesting, too. I talked about in the AFC East how the pendulum swings a little bit with the Rodgers injury, with New England not looking great out of the gates, and how the Bills and Dolphins seems like the, the, the contest there at the top of the division. AFC North, I don't know if that paradigm has shifted all the way there, but with the Bengals looking iffy, You've got to wonder if the Browns have an opportunity to wiggle their way in there. And, of course, they continue to win that head-to-head matchup against the Bengals, even in the Bengals' good years the past couple of years. Browns finally got a really good Deshaun Watson game last week against Tennessee. Baltimore has been a little unimpressive. I know it's 2-1, but it's kind of a little bit like Atlanta where there's still some real questions there because – 
you weren't great against Houston early on. You, you pulled it out late. You did beat the Bengals. It was a close game. But then you lose at home to Indianapolis. And, by the way, that wasn't Anthony Richardson in Indianapolis. That was Gardner Minshew Indianapolis. So I, I can't really come up with the a great argument of why you lost that game. Mustache I mean, magic. I, well, well, yes. I mean, something akin to Ryan Fitzpatrick maybe. But, but I mean, Gardner Minshew's been in the league a few years. He started some games for various teams. Like, that's not a, a shocking concept of how he's going to play the game. And you score 19 points at home, too. Not great. And this Cleveland defense is real good. We're still trying to figure out if you can get consistent Deshaun Watson or not. But that defense is for real. What what do you think of this Baltimore and Cleveland dynamic? I think it's a really interesting game because it feels like the Ravens always find a way to beat the Browns. I couldn't tell you the last time that the Browns beat the Ravens. I'm sure someone could Google that. But it just always feels like no matter how good the Browns are or maybe how down the Ravens are, it always feels like, the Ravens find a way to win. seems like John Harbaugh really knows what he's doing in that game. But, yeah, like you said, the Cleveland defense has been incredible. I mean, they only lost to the Steelers because of that strip sack, and so it, was, it wasn't it was the fault of them. They did really well, and they've been great this whole entire season, and they got a tough test in uh, containing Lamar Jackson. But I'm really interested to see this because – like you said, the Ravens have just been unimpressive. I thought they were really going to handle the Colts without Anthony Richardson. I thought with Anthony Richardson, it'd be a really interesting game, but you know, Baltimore would figure out a way and find a way to win. But with Gardner, they just they just lost. They just lost to uh, not a great Colts team right now. So yeah, I think this is a a really interesting matchup at that twelve o'clock window as well. So I think it's going to be. Um, that one's going to be really fun to watch because I really don't know who's going to win that, but I guess I would lean towards Cleveland because their defense has been <clears throat> number one in the league. I'd, I Or one of them. They'd be top three in the league right now. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I just don't know what to make of this division right now. I mean, you, you know, you outlined it very well there, uh, Ryan. I feel like the, we, we could be seeing this year with, with, you know, maybe if Cincinnati is taking a step back, if Baltimore's not the same, you know, dynamic offense that we've seen the past couple of years, this could finally be the year that maybe it's not, you know, a few years back uh, it was Super Bowl or bust for Cleveland after they put together this, you know, great roster. Everyone's like, oh, that's a Super Bowl, and they they it was a bust. It wasn't the Super Bowl. I don't feel like it's that level, but they could finally get to fruition where it's they're they're the team they're the best team that is they're. Let me let me back up. Not the best team. They're the least dysfunctional team in that that AFC North because I think you you look at the Ravens. They've got some issues there. You look at the Bengals. They've obviously got some issues there. And the Steelers. They they're a team that also has some issues. And so you look at all the four teams. You're like, well, which one of these guys can put it together more often than not this year? And it, it really could be the Bengals or not the Bengals. The the Browns. You you look at their their offensive weapons. Deshaun Watson. Uh, as long as he can you know keep the ball safe, not turn it over um i think that he he's a he's a quarterback that can win this division um if he can get it to a guy like amari cooper they can have a, a lot of success with that connection uh this year um and so it, it feels like this could be a year where where cleveland if, if they could put it together more often than not uh and especially in these division games like this coming weekend against the ravens uh you you could see them on top of the division at, at the end of the season yeah you know i i think that too we just don't know enough about these teams yet, and that's I think that's still fair. Three games out of seventeen, but like it's Pittsburgh's two and one real because I'm not liked anything about Kenny Pickett really in three weeks. But they have won an important game against Cleveland in the division. 
via two defensive touchdowns. TP, you mentioned that strip sack, but also it was the dropped on the very first play of the game, tight end dropped the pass, it was a little outside his frame, picked off for a touchdown. So two defensive touchdowns. And then they played Las Vegas, who, uh, you know, <laughs> is just Josh McDaniels. I hate it because I think he's a brilliant, I think he's a really good offensive mind, but he's the stereotypical you're a coordinator, not a head coach guy. And so I, I think that that division could really swing to any of those teams. Maybe not Pittsburgh, but I mean their defense is really good. And if and if if Baltimore is not going to be the Baltimore of the last couple of regular seasons with healthy Lamar, and if Cincy's not going to be the Cincy of the last couple of years, why not? Well, because then you're down. You, then you're looking at a ten win team. You're looking at some cannibalization there. Why not? Because they they keep going five hundred better no matter who they run out there. All, you know, Roethlisberger on on one arm or or last year Pickett, whatever. I mean, they've still continued to go five hundred or better. So I, I think that division is very much in the air, and I think all four teams still have a a, a case for it. Let's let's do a sampling of, of some of the other games. Uh, you've got a Bengals Titans game, which is interesting. This is a rematch of a of the first uh, play or not first playoff game, but a playoff game. That kind of unlocked the Bengals two years ago, where they went to Tennessee and won, and uh, that ended up being their AFC Championship year. Whereas Tennessee was the one seed, they haven't really been the same since that game. To be honest with you, they did not have a very good year last year, and they're off to a one and two start. Got beat pretty badly by Cleveland last week, so that's an interesting one. Raiders Chargers is your destined to be fired bowl, uh, <laughs> where it feels like both head coaches are are hurling towards unemployment at some point. Uh, and then I'll give you another one throughout the Patriots Cowboys game, where Dallas looked like a juggernaut through two games. Although I still had some questions about the offense, and then Arizona kind of did whatever they wanted to do, uh, just with I kind of hard to explain. I mean, like Josh Dobbs is a competent quarterback. I'm not sure he's a starting NFL quarterback, but he certainly would be a good backup for people. And I think he just played that even in the in the game with Tennessee last year. He walked in and was immediately better than Malik Willis, and he's walked in Arizona and. Heck, they, they were a three-touchdown blown lead away from being 2-1 right now. and saying, hey, what about us? So they've kind of been decent so far. But nevertheless, not the caliber of team you expect Dallas to all, all of a sudden succumb to. Uh, so Dallas, New England, interesting one between two big organizations. Those three, Bengals, Titans, Raiders, Chargers, Patriots, Cowboys. What do you like out of that group? I'll take the Raiders, Chargers, because I honestly think that if Kirk Cousins doesn't throw an interception in the end zone, I think Brandon Staley's fired right now because of how mismanaged that game was because they went for it on their own like 24-yard line, and they didn't get it, and it was just a very strange, bad call. It was a very fireable call. So, um, yeah, that's a very important game to those two um, head coaching positions because I don't think Brandon Staley's going to survive. I I think they're going to find, once again, another way to lose this game like they love to try to do. The only difference last week was that the Vikings found a way to lose. So it's just, man, it's just Justin Herbert's there, and they have so much talent. And Mike Williams, just he's out for the year with an ACL tear now, one of their best receivers. So it's just it's not going to get any easier. And um, they, they get to face a struggling Raiders team who – like you said, Josh McDaniels could be on the way out after this year. So, Chargers really need to get together. But man, it, it, they have um, they usually find ways to make games close. So it wouldn't surprise me if this was like a three point game. So, uh, whoever needs whoever wins this game really needs it though. Both the Bengals 
Titans game and the Raiders Chargers game, one team in those matchups have uh, it, it feels like has the clearly the better weapons. Cincinnati, you got Joe Burrow, you got Jamar Chase, you got Joe Mixon. For the Chargers, you got Justin Herbert, uh, you've got um, uh, Keenan Allen. And then uh, their their backup running back Kelly has really stepped up uh, these last couple of weeks, and so it it feels like you know you, you look at just the offensive side of the ball, you're like, all right, these these two teams, the Bengals and the Chargers, should win this game. But then you look at how they've played this year, uh, both of those teams, and you and you say, well, I don't know. It it it, it you kind of start to question your head. You don't know what what could happen in in those two games. Um, I feel like the Bengals should probably should win that game because, you know, as we mentioned earlier, uh, they don't have Ryan Tannehill, and Ryan Tannehill could be actively playing against them for them um, when when they go up into that uh, that matchup. The other one that you mentioned, that Patriots-Cowboys uh, game, yeah, Cowboys, I don't know what they were doing this past Sunday against those those Cardinals. It, it, it felt like it was back a few years ago with the Jason Garrett uh, Cowboys where they just they looked good one week and then they, they didn't look good. So I don't know what, what's going on there. But uh, the Patriots did get a win this past week against the Jets. Uh, but as, as, a, as a Patriots fan, I watched every snap of that game. Um, if any other quarterback – Literally any other quarterback had been out on that field besides a man named Zach Wilson. Huh. The Patriots lose that game. <laughs> there was three to four times in the fourth quarter where I said, "All right, if the Patriots get the ball back here, they can run the clock and it's over." Three Guess who out. got the ball yeah. right then? Yeah. Was the 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 and it wasn't turnover. Three and out. Three and yeah. out. Three and out. Uh, so the the Patriots, there's just there's just nothing juice on that offense. It's just it continues to be a an offense that you get, you say you there's some pieces there. There's no number one guys, and it's it, it's just there's not a lot of substance there, and not a lot of hey, you, you don't have a lot of faith in Mac Jones as a as a quarterback to go go out and and win this game on you know put the team on his back and win this game like you, you saw when when Brady was the quarterback uh, and like you know you can rely on some other you know you you can rely on a lot of quarterbacks in this league to put the game on their back go win a football game you can't do that with Mac Jones it, it he needs help you saw him at, at when he was at Alabama he had a lot of help there uh, with, uh, he was a really he was a good quarterback at Alabama but he needed help there and so. It's just it, it. This I'm not gonna say it could get ugly, but when when you're going up, uh, because I, I think the Patriots defense can keep them in that football game. But I, I said it earlier this year. It's gonna be the hope that kills me as a Patriots fan. I think it's gonna be the same way this week. I think the Patriots uh, are gonna get a, have a chance to win a ball game. And because of their defense, and the offense just won't be able to do anything. Yeah, that game could be very low scoring. Uh, that, that's I think Dallas will want some revenge from what happened against Arizona last week. Uh, I think that New England does not have enough weapons to really take advantage of Diggs being out. But then again, I you know Dallas on the other other side of things, New England's still very good defensively, and and I, I'm still I just think Dak is is a solid NFL quarterback, but he's not great. And and, and you can beat him, and, and you can disrupt him and disrupt their offense a little bit. And I do think that they miss Ezekiel Elliott in short yard situations. I, I think he clearly was not a number one running back anymore, but number two running backs in the NFL are still useful. They still can achieve important purposes for you. And Elliott was their red zone back, and he scored a lot of touchdowns last year, even though it was in a lesser role. So I think they're missing that a little bit right now. And, and so – the last thing I'll say, we'll get to Nightly TV Guide about that one, is 
what I'm I'm investigating Mac Jones, and here's what I've I'm starting to hypothesize. I'm wondering if he's the new Ryan Tannehill, where he is a starting NFL quarterback. That that is for sure, but he is dead middle of the pack. Like he will not make you worse. He will not make you better. You give him good stuff, he'll put up some yards. They'll win some games. You give him some bad stuff, he won't put up big numbers. They'll lose some games. I'm working on the theory that we have found the next Ryan Tannehill. There's might still be a cousin's path for him where there is some big numbers in there and, and that sort of thing. But I'm working on like he is like the number 16 quarterback in the NFL, like the dead center of the NFL. So that's 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 all I'm gonna do this year is did you did you look more like Tannehill than you did last week? Oh goodness. <laughs> That, that, that's what I'm looking into. So final minute or two of the show time for nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's sports calls, nightly TV guide, sports calls, nightly TV guide presented by white claw, hard seltzer Brooks. So hopefully I've not made you too sad to yeah. read this off. How are you? I, I'm, 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 yeah, I don't know if I can make it. Um, <laughs> Movie picks for you this evening. Uh, it's as the kids say, it's almost spooky season. Yes. As October is on uh, sat on Sunday, as, as spooky season gets here, as the the, the youth say. Uh, so we'll start things off a little bit early. Six o'clock on AMC. The classic horror, The Shining, is oh on. excellent. And yes. so make sure you watch that. Six o'clock AMC. Seven o'clock on FX. Your superhero pick for the night from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's Thor. Uh, just the original Thor at 7 o'clock FX. Sports picks for you this evening. Uh, college football action for you tonight on ESPN. Temple visits Tulsa. Uh, also 7 o'clock on ESPNU. Jacksonville State visits Sam Houston State. No, that's not an FCS game that's anymore. That's a Conference uh, USA game. That is an FBS yeah. game uh, out in at Elliott T. Bauer Stadium in Texas. I uh, believe you. Some, some high school action for you tonight from the state of Alabama on ESPN2. The number two team in 6A, Clay Chalkville, visits the Number one team in 7A, Thompson. That's right, Alabama High School Football on ESPN2, 7 o'clock tonight. So check out some big-time recruits there. 8 o'clock on FS1, some college volleyball as BYU takes on Texas. And then, of course, the Atlanta Braves wrap up their series with the Chicago Cubs tonight, 620 on Bally Sports South. And that is your nightly TV guide brought to our friends at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks, and thank you for being here on the show today. Please don't be sad. Be glad. And we'll see you again tomorrow. I'm going to go home and watch two quarterbacks that are better than mine. (laughs) T.P. Hammock, thank you for being on the show today. Hope you have a great rest of your week. We'll see you again next week. Thank you, as always. That will do it for the show here this afternoon. As always, we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in, and we appreciate Zach Blackerby, the Locked on Auburn host and of co-host of Village Vice with Brad Law for joining us on the show today as well. For Brooks Childress and T.P. Hammock, my name is Ryan LeBoy. Have a great Thursday evening, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.